0: Grimm's Household Tales translated by Margaret Hunt read by Paul Martin this audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain number ninety three the Raven There was once upon a time a queen who had a little daughter who was still so young that she had to be carried one day the child was naughty and the mother might say what she liked but the child would not be quiet "'Then she became impatient, and as the ravens were flying about the palace, "'she opened the window and said, "'I wish you were a raven and would fly away, "'and then I should have some rest. "'Scarcely had she spoken the words before the child was changed into a raven "'and flew from her arms out of the window. "'It flew into a dark forest and stayed in it a long time, "'and the parents heard nothing of their child.' Then one day a man was on his way through this forest, and heard the raven crying, and followed the voice, and when he came nearer the bird said, I am a king's daughter by birth, and am bewitched, but you can set me free. What am I to do? asked he. She said, Go further into the forest, and you will find a house wherein sits an aged woman, who will offer you meat and drink.' But you must accept nothing, for if you eat and drink anything, you will fall into a sleep, and then you will not be able to deliver me. In the garden behind the house there is a great heap of tan, and on this you shall stand and wait for me. For three days I will come every afternoon at two o'clock in a carriage. On the first day four white horses will be harnessed to it, "'then four chestnut horses, and lastly four black ones. "'But if you are not awake but sleeping, I shall not be set free.' "'The man promised to do everything that she desired, "'but the raven said, Alas, I know already that you will not deliver me. "'You will accept something from the woman.' "'Then the man once more promised that he would certainly not touch anything.' either to eat or to drink. But when he entered the house, the old woman came to him and said, Poor man, how faint you are! Come and refresh yourself, eat and drink. No, said the man, I will not eat or drink. She, however, let him have no peace, and said, If you will not eat, take one drink out of the glass, one is nothing. Then he let himself be persuaded, and drank. Shortly before two o'clock in the afternoon he went into the garden to the tan heap to wait for the raven. As he was standing there his weariness all at once became so great that he could not struggle against it, and lay down for a short time, but he was determined not to go to sleep. "'Hardly, however, had he lain down than his eyes closed of their own accord, "'and he fell asleep and slept so soundly "'that nothing in the world could have aroused him. "'At two o'clock the raven came driving up with four white horses, "'but she was already in deep grief, and said, "'I know he is asleep.' "'And when she came into the garden, "'he was indeed lying there asleep on the heap of tan.' She alighted from the carriage, went to him, shook him, and called him, but he did not awake. Next day, about noon, the old woman came again, and brought him food and drink, but he would not take any of it, but she let him have no rest, and persuaded him, until at length he again took one drink out of the glass.' Towards two o'clock he went into the garden to the tan heap to wait for the raven, but all at once felt such a great weariness that his limbs would no longer support him. He could not help himself and was forced to lie down and fell into a heavy sleep. When the raven drove up with four brown horses she was already full of grief and said, I know he is asleep. She went to him, BUT THERE HE LAY SLEEPING, AND THERE WAS NO WAKING HIM. NEXT DAY THE OLD WOMAN ASKED WHAT WAS THE MEANING OF THIS. HE WAS NEITHER EATING NOR DRINKING ANYTHING. DID HE WANT TO DIE? HE REPLIED, I'M NOT ALLOWED TO EAT OR DRINK, AND WILL NOT DO SO. BUT SHE SET A DISH WITH FOOD AND A GLASS WITH WINE BEFORE HIM and when he smelled it he could not resist and swallowed a deep drink. When the time came he went out into the garden to the heap of tan and waited for the king's daughter, but he became still more weary than on the day before and lay down and slept as soundly as if he had been a stone. At two o'clock the raven came with four black horses and the coachman, and everything else was black. She was already in the deepest grief, and said, I know that he is asleep, and cannot deliver me. When she came to him, there he was, lying fast asleep. She shook him, and called him, but she could not wake him. Then she laid a loaf beside him, and after that a piece of meat, and thirdly a bottle of wine, and he might consume as much of all of them as he liked, but they would never grow less. After this she took a gold ring from her finger, and put it on his, and her name was graven on it. Lastly she laid a letter beside him, wherein was written what she would given him, and that none of the things would ever grow less, and in it was also written, I SEE RIGHT WELL THAT HERE YOU WILL NEVER BE ABLE TO DELIVER ME. BUT IF YOU ARE STILL WILLING TO DELIVER ME, COME TO THE GOLDEN CASTLE OF Stromberg. IT LIES IN YOUR POWER, OF THAT I AM CERTAIN. AND WHEN SHE HAD GIVEN HIM ALL THESE THINGS, SHE SEATED HERSELF IN HER CARRIAGE AND DROVE TO THE GOLDEN CASTLE OF Stromberg. When the man awoke and saw that he had slept, he was sad at heart, and said, "'She is certainly driven by, and I have not set her free.' Then he perceived the things which were lying beside him, and read the letter wherein was written how everything had happened. So he arose and went away, intending to go to the golden castle of Stromberg. But he did not know where it was. After he had walked about the world for a long time, he entered into a dark forest, and walked for fourteen days, and still could not find his way out. Then it was once more evening, and he was so tired that he lay down in a thicket and fell asleep Next day he went onwards, and in the evening, as he was again about to lie down beneath some bushes, he heard such a howling and crying that he could not go to sleep. And at the time when people light the candles, he saw one glimmering and arose, and went towards it. Then he came to a house which seemed very small, for in front of it a great giant was standing. HE THOUGHT TO HIMSELF, IF I GO IN AND THE GIANT SEES ME, IT WILL VERY LIKELY COST ME MY LIFE. AT LENGTH HE VENTURED IT AND WENT IN. WHEN THE GIANT SAW HIM, HE SAID, IT IS WELL THAT YOU COME, FOR IT IS LONG SINCE I HAVE EATEN. I WILL AT ONCE EAT YOU FOR MY SUPPER. I'D RATHER YOU WOULD LEAVE THAT ALONE, SAID THE MAN. I DO NOT LIKE TO BE EATEN. BUT IF YOU HAVE ANY DESIRE TO EAT, I HAVE QUITE ENOUGH HERE TO SATISFY YOU. IF THAT BE TRUE, SAID THE GIANT, YOU MAY BE EASY. I WAS ONLY GOING TO DEVOUR YOU BECAUSE I HAD NOTHING ELSE. THEN THEY WENT AND SAT DOWN TO THE TABLE, AND THE MAN TOOK OUT THE BREAD, WINE, AND MEAT, WHICH WOULD NEVER COME TO AN END. THIS PLEASES ME WELL, SAID THE GIANT, AND ate TO HIS HEART'S CONTENT. Then the man said to him, "'Can you tell me where the golden castle of Stromberg is?' The giant said, "'I will look at my map. All the towns and villages and houses are to be found on it.' He brought out the map, which had in the room, and looked for the castle, but it was not to be found on it. "'It's no matter,' said he, "'I have some still larger maps in my cupboard upstairs.' and we will look in them. But there, too, it was in vain. The man now wanted to go onwards, but the giant begged him to wait a few days longer until his brother, who had gone out to bring some provisions, came home. When the brother came home, they inquired about the golden castle of Stromberg. He replied, When I have eaten and have had enough, I will look in the map. Then he went with them up to his chamber, and they searched in his map, but could not find it. Then he brought out still older maps, and they never rested until they found the golden castle of Stromberg, but it was many thousand miles away. How am I to get there? asked the man. The giant said, "'I have two hours' time, "'during which I will carry you into the neighbourhood, "'but after that I must be at home "'to suckle the child that we have.' "'So the giant carried the man "'to about a hundred leagues from the castle, "'and said, "'You can be very well. "'Walk the rest of the way alone.' "'And he turned back. "'The man, however,' "'went onwards day and night, "'until at length he came to the golden castle of Stromberg. "'It stood on a glass mountain, "'and the bewitched maiden drove in her carriage round the castle, "'and then went inside it. "'He rejoiced when he saw her and wanted to climb up to her, "'but when he began to do so, "'he always slipped down the glass again. "'And when he saw that, He could not reach her. He was filled with trouble, and said to himself, I will stay down here below, and wait for her. So he built himself a hut, and stayed in it for a whole year, and every day saw the king's daughter driving about above, but never could go to her. Then one day he saw from his hut three robbers who were beating each other, and cried to them, God be with you. They stopped when they heard the cry, but as they saw no one, they once more began to beat each other, and that too most dangerously. So he again cried, God be with you. Again they stopped, looked round about, but as they saw no one, they went on beating each other. Then he cried for the third time, God be with you, and fought "'I must see what these three are about,' "'and went over and asked why they were beating each other so furiously. "'One of them said that he found a stick, "'and that when he struck a door with it, the door would spring open. "'The next said that he had found a mantle, "'and that whenever he put it on he was invisible.' BUT THE THIRD SAID HE HAD FOUND A HORSE ON WHICH A MAN COULD RIDE EVERYWHERE, EVEN UP THE GLASS MOUNTAIN. AND NOW THEY DID NOT KNOW WHETHER THEY OUGHT TO HAVE THESE THINGS IN COMMON, OR WHETHER THEY OUGHT TO DIVIDE THEM. THEN THE MAN SAID, I WILL GIVE YOU SOMETHING IN EXCHANGE FOR THESE FREE THINGS. MONEY INDEED, HAVE I NOT, BUT I HAVE OTHER THINGS OF MORE VALUE. "'but first I must try yours to see if you have told the truth.' "'Then they put him on the horse, threw the mantle round him, "'and gave him the stick in his hand. "'And when he had all these things, they were no longer able to see him. "'So he gave them some vigorous blows, and cried, "'Now, vagabonds, you have got what you deserve.' "'Are you satisfied?' "'And he rode up the glass mountain. "'But when he came in front of the castle, "'at the top it was shut. "'Then he struck the door with his stick, "'and it sprang open immediately. "'He went in and ascended the stairs, "'until he came to the hall where the maiden was sitting "'with a golden cup full of wine before her. "'She, however, could not see him "'because he had the mantle on.' And when he came up to her, he drew from his finger the ring which she had given him, And threw it into the cup, so that it rang. Then she cried, That is my ring, so the man who is to set me free must be here. The courtiers searched the whole castle, and did not find him, But he had gone out, and had seated himself on the horse, and thrown off the mantle. When they came to the door, they saw him and cried aloud in their delight. Then he alighted and took the king's daughter in his arms, but she kissed him and said, Now you have set me free, and tomorrow we will celebrate our wedding. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin THIS AUDIO BOOK AND ITS UNDERLYING TEXT IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. NUMBER 94 THE PEASANT'S WISE DAUGHTER THERE WAS ONCE A POOR PEASANT WHO HAD NO LAND, BUT ONLY A SMALL HOUSE AND ONE DAUGHTER. THEN SAID THE DAUGHTER, WE OUGHT TO ASK OUR LORD THE KING FOR A BIT OF newly CLEARED LAND. When the king heard of their poverty, he presented them with a piece of land, which she and her father dug up, and intended to sow, with a little corn and grain of that kind. When they had dug nearly the whole of the field, they found in the earth a mortar made of pure gold. "'Listen,' said the father to the girl, "'as our lord the king has been so gracious and presented us with the field,' "'We ought to give him this mortar in return for it.' "'The daughter, however, would not consent to this, "'and said, Father, if we have the mortar "'without having the pestle as well, "'we shall have to get the pestle, "'so you had much better say nothing about it.' "'He would, however, not obey her, "'but took the mortar and carried it to the king, "'said that he had found it in the cleared land,' AND ASKED IF HE WOULD ACCEPT IT AS A PRESENT. THE KING TOOK THE MORTAR, AND ASKED IF HE HAD FOUND NOTHING BESIDES THAT. NO, ANSWERED THE countryman. THEN THE KING SAID THAT HE MUST NOW BRING HIM THE PESTLE. THE PEASANTS SAID THEY HAD NOT FOUND THAT, BUT HE MIGHT JUST AS WELL HAVE SPOKEN TO THE WIND. HE WAS PUT IN PRISON, AND WAS TO STAY THERE, UNTIL HE PRODUCED THE PESTLE. THE SERVANTS HAD DAILY TO CARRY HIM BREAD AND WATER, WHICH IS WHAT PEOPLE GET IN PRISON, AND THEY HEARD HOW THE MAN CRIED OUT CONTINUALLY, "'Ah, IF I HAD BUT LISTENED TO MY DAUGHTER, ALAS, ALAS, IF I HAD BUT LISTENED TO MY DAUGHTER, AND WOULD NEITHER EAT NOR DRINK.' SO HE COMMANDED THE SERVANTS TO BRING THE PRISONER BEFORE HIM, AND THEN THE KING ASKED THE PEASANT WHY HE WAS ALWAYS CRYING, Ah, if I had but listened to my daughter, and what it was that his daughter had said. She told me that I ought not to take the mortar to you, for I should have to produce the pestle as well. If you have a daughter who is as wise as that, let her come here. She was therefore obliged to appear before the king, who asked her if she really was so wise, and said he would set her a riddle, and if she could guess that, he would marry her. She at once said yes, she would guess it. Then said the king, Come to me, not clothed, not naked, not riding, not walking, not in the road, and not out of the road, and if you can do that, I will marry you. So she went away, put off everything she had on, and then she was not clothed, and took a great fishing net, and seated herself in it, and wrapped it entirely round and round, so that she was not naked, and she hired an ass, and tied the fisherman's net to its tail, so that it was forced to drag her along, and that was neither riding nor walking.' The ass had also to drag her in the ruts, so that she only touched the ground with her great toe, and that was neither being in the road nor out of the road. And when she arrived in that fashion, the king said she had guessed the riddle, and fulfilled all the conditions. Then he ordered her father to be released from the prison, took her as wife, and gave into her care all the royal possessions. Now when some years had passed, the king was once drawing up his troops on parade, when it happened that some peasants, who had been selling wood, stopped with their wagons before the palace, some of them had oxen yoked to them, and some horses. There was one peasant who had three horses, one of which delivered a young foal, and it ran away and lay down between two oxen which were in front of the wagon. When the peasants came together they began to dispute, to beat each other and make a disturbance, and the peasant, with the oxen, wanted to keep the foal, and said one of the oxen had given birth to it, and the other said his horse had had it and that it was his. The quarrel came before the king, and he give the verdict that the foal should stay where it had been found, and so the peasant with the oxen to whom it did not belong got it. Then the other went away, and wept and lamented over his foal. Now he had heard how gracious his lady the queen was, because she herself had sprung from poor peasant-folks, so he went to her, and begged her to see if she could not help him to get his foal back again. Said she, Yes, I will tell you what to do, if you will promise me not to betray me, early to-morrow morning, when the king parades the guard— "'place yourself there in the middle of the road by which he must pass, "'take a great fishing net, and pretend to be fishing, go on fishing too, "'and empty out the net as if you had got it full.' "'And then she told him also what he was to say, if he was questioned by the king. "'The next day, therefore, the peasant stood there and fished on dry ground.' When the king passed by and saw that, he sent his messenger to ask what the stupid man was about. He answered, I am fishing. The messenger asked how he could fish, when there was no water there. The peasant said, It is as easy for me to fish on dry land as it is for an ox to have a foal. The messenger went back and took the answer to the king who ordered the peasant to be brought to him and told him that this was not his own idea and he wanted to know whose it was. The peasant must confess this at once. The peasant, however, would not do so and said always, God forbid he should. The idea was his own. They laid him, however, on a heap of straw, and beat him, and tormented him, so long, that at last he admitted that he had got the idea from the queen. When the king reached home again, he said to his wife, Why have you behaved so falsely to me? I will not have you any longer for a wife. Your time is up. Go back to the place from where you came, to your peasant's hut." One favour, however, he granted her, she might take with her the one thing that was dearest and best in her eyes, and thus she was dismissed. She said, Yes, my dear husband, if you command this I will do it, and she embraced him and kissed him, and said she would take leave of him. Then she ordered a powerful sleeping potion to be brought to drink farewell to him. The king took a long drink, but she took only a little. He soon fell into a deep sleep, and when she perceived that, she called a servant, and took a fair white linen cloth, and wrapped the king in it, and the servant was forced to carry him into a carriage that stood before the door. And she drove with him, TO HER OWN LITTLE HOUSE. SHE LAID HIM IN HER OWN LITTLE BED, AND HE SLEPT ONE DAY AND ONE NIGHT WITHOUT AWAKENING, AND WHEN HE AWOKE, HE LOOKED ROUND AND SAID, GOOD GOD, WHERE AM I? HE CALLED HIS ATTENDANTS, BUT NONE OF THEM WERE THERE. AT LENGTH HIS WIFE CAME TO HIS BEDSIDE, AND SAID, MY DEAR LORD AND KING, YOU TOLD ME I MIGHT BRING AWAY WITH ME FROM THE PALACE THAT WHICH WAS DEAREST AND MOST PRECIOUS IN MY EYES. I HAVE NOTHING MORE PRECIOUS AND DEAR THAN YOURSELF, SO I HAVE BROUGHT YOU WITH ME. TEARS ROSE TO THE KING'S EYES, AND HE SAID, DEAR WIFE, YOU SHALL BE MINE, AND I WILL BE YOURS. AND HE TOOK HER BACK WITH HIM TO THE ROYAL PALACE, AND WAS MARRIED AGAIN TO HER. AND AT THE PRESENT TIME THEY ARE VERY LIKELY STILL LIVING. GRIMM'S HOUSEHOLD TALES TRANSLATED BY MARGARET HUNT READ BY PAUL MARTIN THIS AUDIO BOOK AND ITS UNDERLYING TEXT IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. NUMBER 95 OLD HILDEBRAND ONCE UPON A TIME LIVED A PEASANT AND HIS WIFE and the parson of the village had a fancy for the wife, and had wished for a long time while to spend a whole day happily with her. The peasant woman, too, was quite willing. One day, therefore, he said to the woman, Listen, my dear friend, I have now thought of a way by which we can for once spend a whole day happily together. I'll tell you what, on Wednesday... You must take to your bed and tell your husband you are ill, and if you only complain and act being ill properly, and go on doing so until Sunday, when I have to preach, I will then say in my sermon that whoever has at home a sick child, a sick husband, a sick wife, a sick father, a sick mother, a sick brother, or whoever else it may be, "'Makes a pilgrimage to the Goccoli Hill in Italy, "'where you can get a peck of laurel leaves. "'For a cruiser, the sick child, the sick husband, the sick wife, "'the sick father, the sick mother, the sick sister, "'or whoever else it may be, will be restored to health immediately.' "'I will manage it,' said the woman promptly.' Now, therefore, on the Wednesday the peasant woman took to her bed, and complained and lamented as agreed on, and her husband did everything for her that he could think of, but nothing did her any good. And when Sunday came, the woman said, I feel as ill as if I were going to die at once, but there is one thing I should like to do before my end. I should like to hear the parson's sermon, that he is going to preach today. At that the peasant said, Ah, my child, do not do it. You might make yourself worse, if you were to get up. Look, I will go to the sermon, and will attend to it very carefully, and will tell you everything the parson says. Well, said the woman, go then and pay great attention, and repeat to me all that you hear. So the peasant went to the sermon, and the parson began to preach, and said, If anyone had at home a sick child, a sick husband, a sick wife, a sick father, a sick mother, a sick sister, brother, or anyone else, and would make a pilgrimage to the Goccoli Hill in Italy, where a peck of laurel leaves costs a cruiser, the sick child, sick husband, sick wife, sick father, sick mother, sick sister, brother, or whoever else it might be, would be restored to health instantly, and whoever wished to undertake the journey was to go to him after the service was over, and he would give him the sack for the laurel-leaves and the cruiser. Then no one was more rejoiced than the peasant, and after the service was over, he went at once to the parson, who gave him the bag for the laurel-leaves and the cruiser. After that he went home, and even at the house-door he cried, Hurrah, dear wife! It is now almost the same thing as if you were well. The parson has preached to-day that whoever had at home a sick child, a sick husband, a sick wife, a sick father, a sick mother, a sick sister, brother, or whoever it might be, and would make a pilgrimage to the Goccoli Hill in Italy, where a peck of laurel leaves costs a cruiser, THE SICK CHILD, SICK HUSBAND, SICK WIFE, SICK FATHER, SICK MOTHER, SICK SISTER, BROTHER, OR WHOEVER ELSE IT WAS, WOULD BE CURED IMMEDIATELY, AND NOW I HAVE ALREADY GOT THE BAG AND THE CRUISER FROM THE PARSON, AND WILL AT ONCE BEGIN MY JOURNEY, SO THAT YOU MAY GET WELL THE FASTER, AND THEREUPON HE WENT AWAY, HE WAS, HOWEVER, HARDLY GONE, BEFORE THE WOMAN GOT UP, AND THE PARSON WAS THERE DIRECTLY. BUT NOW WE WILL LEAVE THESE TWO FOR A WHILE, AND FOLLOW THE PEASANT, WHO WALKED ON QUICKLY WITHOUT STOPPING, IN ORDER TO GET THE SOONER TO THE gockley HILL, AND ON HIS WAY HE MET HIS GOSSIP. HIS GOSSIP WAS AN EGG MERCHANT, AND WAS JUST COMING FROM THE MARKET, WHERE HE HAD SOLD HIS EGGS. MAY YOU BE BLESSED, SAID THE GOSSIP. WHERE ARE YOU OFF TO SO FAST? To all eternity, my friend, said the peasant, my wife is ill, and I have been today to hear the parson's sermon, and he preached that if anyone had in his house a sick child, a sick husband, a sick wife, a sick father, a sick mother, a sick sister, brother, or anyone else, and made a pilgrimage to the goccoli Hill in Italy, where a peck of laurel leaves costs a cruiser. The sick child, the sick husband, the sick wife, the sick father, the sick mother, the sick sister, brother, or whoever else it was, would be cured immediately. And so I have got the bag for the laurel leaves and the cruiser from the parson, and now I am beginning my pilgrimage. But listen, gossip, said the egg merchant to the peasant, are you then stupid enough to believe such a thing as that? DON'T YOU KNOW WHAT IT MEANS? THE PARSON WANTS TO SPEND A WHOLE DAY ALONE WITH YOUR WIFE IN PEACE, SO HE'S given YOU THIS JOB TO DO TO GET YOU OUT OF THE WAY. MY WORD, SAID THE PEASANT, HOW I'D LIKE TO KNOW IF THAT'S TRUE. COME THEN, SAID THE GOSSIP, I'LL TELL YOU WHAT TO DO. GET INTO MY EGG BASKET, AND I WILL CARRY YOU HOME, THEN YOU WILL SEE FOR YOURSELF. So that was settled, and the gossip put the peasant into his egg basket and carried him home. When they got to the house, hurrah! But all was going merry there. The woman had already had nearly everything killed that was in the farmyard, and had made pancakes, and the parson was there, and had brought his fiddle with them. The gossip knocked at the door, and the woman asked who was there. IT IS I, GOSSIP, SAID THE EGG MERCHANT, GIVE ME SHELTER THIS NIGHT, I'VE NOT SOLD MY EGGS AT THE MARKET, SO NOW I HAVE TO CARRY THEM HOME AGAIN, AND THEY ARE SO HEAVY, THAT I SHALL NEVER BE ABLE TO DO IT, FOR IT IS DARK ALREADY. INDEED, MY FRIEND, SAID THE WOMAN, YOU COME AT A VERY INCONVENIENT TIME FOR ME, BUT AS YOU ARE HERE IT CAN'T BE HELPED, COME IN AND TAKE A SEAT THERE, ON THE BENCH BY THE STOVE. Then she placed the gossip and the basket which he carried on his back on the bench by the stove. The parson, however, and the woman were as merry as possible. At length the parson said, Listen, my dear friend, you can sing beautifully. Sing something to me. Oh, said the woman, I cannot sing now. In my young days indeed I could sing well enough, but that's all over now. "'Come,' said the parson once more, "'do sing some little song.' At that the woman began and sang, "'I've sent my husband away from me "'to the Goccoli Hill in Italy.' Thereupon the parson sang, "'I wish twas a year before he came back. "'I'd never ask him for the laurel-leaf sack. "'Hallelujah!' Then the gossip who was in the background, began to sing, but I ought to tell you, the peasant was called Hildebrand. So the gossip sang, What are you doing, my Hildebrand dear, there on the bench by the stove so near, hallelujah. And then the peasant sang from his basket, All singing I ever shall hate from this day, and here in this basket no longer I'll stay, hallelujah and he got out of the basket and cudgelled the parson out of the house. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 96 The Three Little Birds About a thousand or more years ago, There were in this country nothing but small kings, and one of them, who lived in the Kuterberg was very fond of hunting. Once on a time, when he was riding forth from his castle with his hunters, three girls were watching their cows upon the mountain, and when they saw the king with all his followers, the eldest girl pointed to him and called to the two other girls. If I do not get that one, I will have none. Then the second girl answered from the other side of the hill, and pointed to the one who was on the king's right hand, Hello, hello, if I do not get him, I will have no one. These, however, were the two ministers. The king heard all this, and when he had come back from the chase, he had the three girls brought to him, and asked them what they had said yesterday on the mountain. This they would not tell him, so the king asked the eldest if she really would take him for her husband. Then she said, Yes, and the two ministers married her two sisters for they were all free, fair, and beautiful of face, especially the queen, who had hair like flax. But the two sisters had no children, and once when the king was obliged to go from home, he invited them to come to the queen, in order to cheer her, for she was about to bear a child. She had a little boy, who brought a bright red star into the world with him. Then the two sisters said to each other that they would throw the beautiful boy into the water. When they had thrown him in, I believe it was into the vessel, a little bird flew up into the air which sang, To your death are you sped, until God's word be said, In the white lily bloom, brave boy, is your tomb. When the two heard that, they were frightened to death, and ran away in great haste. When the king came home, they told him that the queen had birthed a dog. Then the king said, What God does is well done. But a fisherman who dwelt near the water, fished the little boy out again, while he was still alive. And as his wife had no children, they reared him. When a year had gone by, the king again went away, and the queen had another little boy, whom the false sisters likewise took and threw into the water. Then up flew a little bird again and sang, To your death are you sped, until God's word be said, In the white lily bloom, brave boy, is your tomb. And when the king came back, they told him that the queen had once more given birth to a dog, And he again said, What God does is well done. The fisherman, however, fished this one also out of the water, and reared him. Then the king again journeyed forth, and the queen had a little girl, Whom also the false sisters threw into the water, then again a little bird flew up on high and sang, To your death are you sped, until God's word be said, In the white lily bloom, bonny girl is your tomb. And when the king came home, they told him that the queen had delivered a cat. Then the king grew angry and ordered his wife to be cast into prison, and there she was shut up for many long years. In the meantime the children had grown up. The eldest once went out with some other boys to fish, but the other boys would not have him with them, and said, "'Go your way, foundling!' Hereupon he was much troubled, and asked the old fisherman if that was true. The fisherman told him that once when he was fishing he had drawn him out of the water. So the boy said he would go forth and seek his father. The fisherman, however, entreated him to stay, but he would not let himself be hindered, and at last the fisherman consented. Then the boy went on his way, and walked for many days, and at last he came to a great body of water, by the side of which stood an old woman fishing. "'Good day, mother,' said the boy. "'Many thanks,' said she. "'You will fish long enough before you catch anything, "'and you will seek long enough before you find your father. "'How will you get over the water?' said the woman. "'God knows.' Then the old woman took him up on her back "'and carried him through it, "'and he sought for a long time.' BUT COULD NOT FIND HIS FATHER. WHEN A YEAR HAD GONE BY, THE SECOND BOY SET OUT TO SEEK HIS BROTHER. HE CAME TO THE WATER, AND ALL fared WITH HIM, JUST AS WITH HIS BROTHER. AND NOW THERE WAS NO ONE AT HOME BUT THE DAUGHTER, AND SHE MOURNED FOR HER BROTHERS SO MUCH, THAT AT LAST SHE ALSO BEGGED THE FISHERMAN TO LET HER SET FORTH for she wished to go in search of her brothers. Then she likewise came to the great body of water, and she said to the old woman, Good day, mother. Many thanks, replied the old woman. May God help you with your fishing, said the maiden. When the old woman heard that, she became quite friendly, and carried her over the water, gave her a wand, and said to her, "'Go, my daughter, ever onwards by this road, "'and when you come to a great black dog, "'you must pass it silently and boldly, "'without either laughing or looking at it. "'Then you will come to a great high castle, "'on the threshold of which you must let the wand fall, "'and go straight through the castle and out again on the other side.' THERE YOU WILL SEE AN OLD FOUNTAIN, OUT OF WHICH A LARGE TREE HAS GROWN, WHEREON HANGS A BIRD IN A CAGE WHICH YOU MUST TAKE DOWN. TAKE, LIKEWISE, A GLASS OF WATER OUT OF THE FOUNTAIN, AND WITH THESE TWO THINGS GO BACK BY THE SAME WAY. PICK UP THE WAND AGAIN FROM THE threshold, AND TAKE IT WITH YOU, AND WHEN YOU AGAIN PASS BY THE DOG, STRIKE HIM IN THE FACE WITH IT. "'but be sure that you hit him, "'and then just come back here to me.' "'The maiden found everything exactly as the old woman had said, "'and on her way back she found her two brothers "'who had sought each other over half the world. "'They went together to the place "'where the black dog was lying on the road. "'She struck it in the face, "'and it turned into a handsome prince "'who went with them to the river.' There the old woman was still standing, she rejoiced much to see them again, and carried them all over the water, and then she too went away, for now she was freed. The others, however, went to the old fisherman, and all were glad that they had found each other again, but they hung the bird on the wall. But the second son could not settle at home and took his crossbow and went hunting. When he was tired, he took his flute and made music. The king was hunting too and heard that and went there. And when he met the youth, he said, Who has given you leave to hunt here? Oh, no one. To whom do you belong then? I am the fisherman's son. BUT HE HAS NO CHILDREN, IF YOU WILL NOT BELIEVE, COME WITH ME. THAT THE KING DID, AND QUESTIONED THE FISHERMAN, WHO TOLD EVERYTHING TO HIM, AND THE LITTLE BIRD ON THE WALL BEGAN TO SING. THE MOTHER SITS ALONE, THERE IN THE PRISON SMALL, O KING OF ROYAL BLOOD, THESE ARE YOUR CHILDREN ALL. THE SISTERS BOTH SO FALSE, THEY wrought THE CHILDREN WOE, THERE IN THE WATERS DEEP, WHERE THE FISHERMEN COME AND GO. THEN THEY WERE ALL TERRIFIED, AND THE KING TOOK THE BIRD, THE fisherman, AND THE FREE CHILDREN BACK WITH HIM TO THE CASTLE, AND ORDERED THE PRISON TO BE OPENED, AND BROUGHT HIS WIFE OUT AGAIN. SHE HAD, HOWEVER, GROWN QUITE ILL AND WEAK, Then the daughter gave her some of the water of the fountain to drink, and she became strong and healthy. But the two false sisters were burned, and the daughter married the prince. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audio book in its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 97. THE WATER OF LIFE There was once a king who had an illness, and no one believed that he would come out of it with his life. He had three sons who were much distressed about it, and went down into the palace garden and wept. There they met an old man who inquired as to the cause of their grief. THEY TOLD HIM THAT THEIR FATHER WAS SO ILL THAT HE WOULD MOST CERTAINLY DIE, FOR NOTHING SEEMED TO CURE HIM. THEN THE OLD MAN SAID, I KNOW OF ONE MORE REMEDY, AND THAT IS THE WATER OF LIFE. IF HE DRINKS OF IT, HE WILL BECOME WELL AGAIN, BUT IT IS HARD TO FIND. THE ELDEST SAID, I WILL MANAGE TO FIND IT and went to the sick king, and begged to be allowed to go forth in search of the water of life, for that alone could save him. "'No,' said the king, "'the danger of it is too great. I would rather die.' But he begged so long that the king consented. The prince fought in his heart.' IF I BRING THE WATER, THEN I SHALL BE BEST BELOVED OF MY FATHER, AND SHALL INHERIT THE KINGDOM. SO HE SET OUT, AND WHEN HE HAD RIDDEN FORTH A LITTLE DISTANCE, A DWARF STOOD THERE IN THE ROAD, WHO CALLED TO HIM AND SAID, WHERE AWAY SO FAST? SILLY SHRIMP, SAID THE PRINCE VERY haughtily, IT IS NOTHING TO DO WITH YOU, AND RODE ON. That THE LITTLE DWARF HAD GROWN ANGRY, AND HAD WISHED AN EVIL WISH. SOON AFTER THIS THE PRINCE ENTERED A RAVINE, AND THE FURTHER HE rode, THE CLOSER THE MOUNTAINS DREW TOGETHER, AND AT LAST THE ROAD BECAME SO NARROW THAT HE COULD NOT ADVANCE A STEP FURTHER. IT WAS IMPOSSIBLE EITHER TO TURN HIS HORSE, OR TO DISMOUNT FROM THE SADDLE and he was shut in there as if in prison. The sick king waited long for him, but he did not come. Then the second son said, Father, let me go forth to seek the water, and thought to himself, If my brother is dead, then the kingdom will fall to me. At last the king would not allow him to go either. But at last he yielded, so the prince set out on the same road That his brother had taken, and he too met the dwarf, Who stopped him to ask, where was he going in such haste? Little shrimp, said the prince, that is nothing to you, And rode on without giving him another look. But the dwarf bewitched him, and he, like the other, rode into a ravine, and could neither go forwards nor backwards. So fair, haughty people. As the second son also remained away, the youngest begged to be allowed to go forth to fetch the water, and at last the king was obliged to let him go. When he met the dwarf, and the latter asked him where he was going in such haste, he stopped gave him an explanation, and said, I am seeking the water of life, for my father is sick unto death. Do you know, then, where that is to be found? No, said the prince. As you have borne yourself kindly, and not haughtily, like your false brothers, I will give you the information and tell you how you may obtain the water of life. It springs from a fountain in the courtyard of an enchanted castle, but you will not be able to make your way to it, if I do not give you an iron wand and two small loaves of bread. Strike thrice with the wand on the iron door of the castle, and it will spring open. Inside lie two lions with gaping jaws, but if you throw a loaf to each of them, they will be quieted. Then hasten to fetch some of the water of life before the clock strikes twelve, else the door will shut again, and you will be imprisoned. The prince thanked him, took the wand and the bread, and set out on his way. When he arrived, everything was as the dwarf had said. The door sprang open at the third stroke of the wand, And when he had appeased the lions with the bread, He entered the castle, and came to a large and splendid hall, Wherein sat some enchanted princes, Whose rings he drew off their fingers. A sword and a loaf of bread were lying there, Which he carried away. After this he entered a chamber, In which was a beautiful maiden, Who rejoiced when she saw him, kissed him, AND TOLD HIM THAT HE HAD DELIVERED HER, AND SHOULD HAVE THE WHOLE OF HER KINGDOM, AND THAT IF HE WOULD RETURN IN A YEAR, THEIR WEDDING SHOULD BE CELEBRATED. LIKEWISE, SHE TOLD HIM WHERE THE SPRING OF THE WATER OF LIFE WAS, AND THAT HE WAS TO HASTEN AND DRAW SOME OF IT BEFORE THE CLOCK STRUCK TWELVE. THEN HE WENT ONWARDS, AND AT LAST ENTERED A ROOM, WHERE THERE WAS A BEAUTIFUL, NEWLY-MADE BED. And as he was very weary, he felt inclined to rest a little, so he lay down and fell asleep. When he awoke, it was striking a quarter to twelve, he sprang up in a fright, ran to the spring, drew some water in a cup, which stood near, and hastened away. BUT JUST AS HE WAS PASSING THROUGH THE IRON DOOR, THE CLOCK STRUCK TWELVE, AND THE DOOR FELL to WITH SUCH VIOLENCE THAT IT CARRIED AWAY A PIECE OF HIS HEEL. HE, HOWEVER, REJOICED AT HAVING OBTAINED THE WATER OF LIFE, AND WENT HOMEWARDS, AND AGAIN PASSED THE DWARF. WHEN THE LATTER SAW THE SWORD AND THE LOAF, HE SAID, WITH THESE YOU HAVE WON GREAT WEALTH. WITH THE SWORD YOU CAN SLAY WHOLE ARMIES, AND THE BREAD WILL NEVER COME TO AN END. BUT THE PRINCE WOULD NOT GO HOME TO HIS FATHER WITHOUT HIS BROTHERS, AND SAID, DEAR DWARF, CAN YOU NOT TELL ME WHERE MY TWO BROTHERS ARE? THEY WENT OUT BEFORE I DID IN SEARCH OF THE WATER OF LIFE, AND HAVE NOT RETURNED. THEY ARE imprisoned BETWEEN TWO MOUNTAINS, SAID THE DWARF, I have condemned them to stay there, because they were so haughty. Then the prince begged until the dwarf released them. But he warned him, however, and said, Beware of them, for they have bad hearts. When his brothers came, he rejoiced, and told them how things had gone with him. THAT HE HAD FOUND THE WATER OF LIFE, AND HAD BROUGHT A CUPFUL AWAY WITH HIM, AND HAD RESCUED A BEAUTIFUL PRINCESS, WHO WAS WILLING TO WAIT A YEAR FOR HIM, AND THEN THEIR WEDDING WAS TO BE CELEBRATED, AND HE WOULD OBTAIN A GREAT KINGDOM. AFTER THAT THEY RODE ON TOGETHER, AND CHANCED UPON A LAND WHERE WAR AND FAMINE REIGNED, AND THE KING ALREADY THOUGHT HE MUST PERISH, FOR THE SCARCITY WAS SO GREAT. Then the prince went to him and gave him the loaf, with which he fed and satisfied the whole of his kingdom. And then the prince gave him the sword too, with which he slew the hosts of his enemies, and could now live in rest and peace. The prince then took back his loaf and his sword, and the three brothers rode on, But after this they entered two more countries where war and famine reigned, and each time the prince gave his loaf and his sword to the kings, and had now delivered three kingdoms, and after that they went on board a ship and sailed over the sea. During the passage the two eldest conversed apart, and said, The youngest has found the water of life. AND NOT WE, FOR THAT OUR FATHER WILL GIVE HIM THE KINGDOM, THE KINGDOM WHICH BELONGS TO US, AND HE WILL ROB US OF ALL OUR FORTUNE. THEY THEN BEGAN TO SEEK REVENGE, AND PLOTTED WITH EACH OTHER TO DESTROY HIM. THEY WAITED UNTIL THEY FOUND HIM FAST ASLEEP, THEN THEY POURED THE WATER OF LIFE OUT OF THE CUP, AND TOOK IT FOR THEMSELVES, BUT INTO THE CUP THEY POURED SALT SEA WATER. Now, therefore, when they arrived home, the youngest took his cup to the sick king, in order that he might drink out of it and be cured. But scarcely had he drunk a very little of the salt sea water, than he became still worse than before. And as he was lamenting over this, the two eldest brothers came and accused the youngest of having intended to poison him, and said that, that they had brought him the true water of life and handed it to him. He had scarcely tasted it when he felt his sickness departing and became strong and healthy as in the days of his youth. After that they both went to the youngest, mocked him and said, You certainly found the water of life, but you have had the pain and we the gain. You should have been sharper and should have kept your eyes open. We took it from you while you were asleep at sea, and when a year is over, one of us will go and fetch the beautiful princess. But beware that you do not disclose any of this to your father. Indeed, he does not trust you, and if you say a single word, you shall lose your life into the bargain. But if you keep silent... You shall have it as a gift. The old king was angry with his youngest son, And thought he had plotted against his life. So he summoned the court together, And had sentence pronounced upon his son, That he should be secretly shot. And once when the prince was riding forth to the chase, Suspecting no evil, The king's hunter had to go with him, And when they were quite alone in the forest, the hunter looked so sorrowful that the prince said to him, Dear hunter, what ails you? The hunter said, I cannot tell you, and yet I ought. Then the prince said, Say openly what it is, I will pardon you. Alas, said the hunter, I am to shoot you dead. The king has ordered me to do it. Then the prince was shocked and said, Dear hunter, let me live. There I give you my royal garments. Give me your common ones in their stead. The hunter said, I will willingly do that. Indeed, I should not have been able to shoot you. Then they exchanged clothes and the hunter returned home. The prince, however, went further into the forest. After a time three wagons of gold and precious stones came to the king for his youngest son, which was sent by the free kings who had slain their enemies with the prince's sword and maintained their people with his bread, and who wished to show their gratitude for it. The old king then thought, Can my son have been innocent? and said to his people, WOULD THAT HE WAS STILL ALIVE, HOW IT GRIEVES ME THAT I HAVE SUFFERED HIM TO BE KILLED. HE STILL LIVES, SAID THE HUNTER, I COULD NOT FIND IT IN MY HEART TO CARRY OUT YOUR COMMAND. AND TOLD THE KING HOW IT HAPPENED, THEN A STONE FELL FROM THE KING'S HEART, AND HE HAD IT PROCLAIMED IN EVERY COUNTRY THAT HIS SON MIGHT RETURN AND BE TAKEN INTO FAVOR AGAIN. THE PRINCESS, HOWEVER, HAD A ROAD MADE UP TO HER PALACE, WHICH WAS QUITE BRIGHT AND GOLDEN, AND TOLD HER PEOPLE THAT WHOEVER CAME RIDING STRAIGHT ALONG IT TO HER WOULD BE THE RIGHT WOOER, AND WAS TO BE ADMITTED, AND WHOEVER rode BY THE SIDE OF IT WAS NOT THE RIGHT ONE, AND WAS NOT TO BE ADMITTED. As the time was now close at hand, the eldest thought he would hasten to go to the king's daughter, and give himself out as her deliverer, and thus win her for his bride, and the kingdom to boot. Therefore he rode forth, and when he arrived in front of the palace, and saw the splendid golden road, he fought it would be a sin and a shame if he were to ride over that, and turned aside and rode on the right side of it. But when he came to the door, the servants told him that he was not the right man, and was to go away again. Soon after this the second prince set out, and when he came to the golden road, and his horse had put one foot on it, he thought, It would be a sin and a shame to tread "'a piece of it off, and he turned aside and rode on the left side of it, "'and when he reached the door the attendants told him "'he was not the right one, and he was to go away again. "'When at last the year had entirely expired, "'the third son likewise wished to ride out of the forest to his beloved, "'and with her forget his sorrows.' So he set out and thought of her so incessantly, And wished to be with her so much, That he never noticed the golden road at all. So his horse rode onwards up the middle of it, And when he came to the door it was opened, And the princess received him with joy, And said he was her deliverer, And lord of the kingdom, And their wedding was celebrated with great rejoicing. When it was over, she told him that his father invited him to come to him and had forgiven him. So he rode there and told him everything, how his brothers had betrayed him, and how he had nevertheless kept silent. The old king wished to punish them, but they had gone to sea and never came back as long as they lived. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 98. Dr. Know-all. There was once on a time a poor peasant called Crabb, who drove with two oxen a load of wood to the town and sold it to a doctor for two talkers. When the money was being counted out to him, it so happened that the doctor was sitting at table, and when the peasant saw how daintily he ate and drank, his heart desired what he saw, and he would willingly have been a doctor too. So he remained standing a while, and at length inquired if he too could not be a doctor. "'Oh, yes,' said the doctor, "'that is soon managed.' "'What must I do?' asked the peasant.' In the first place, buy yourself an ABC book of the kind which has a cock on the frontispiece. In the second, turn your cart and your two oxen into money and get yourself some clothes and whatever else pertains to medicine. Thirdly, have a sign painted for yourself with the words I am Dr. Know-all, and have that nailed up above your door. The peasant did everything that he had been told to do. When he had doctored people a while, but not long, a rich and great lord had some money stolen. Then he was told about Dr. Noel, who lived in such and such a village, and must know what had become of the money. So the lord had the horses put in his carriage, drove out to the village, and asked Crab if he were Dr. Noel. Yes, he was, he said. Then he was to go with him and bring back the stolen money. Oh, Yes. But Greta, my wife, must go too. The Lord was willing, and let both of them have a seat in the carriage, and they all drove away together. When they came to the nobleman's castle, the table was spread, and Crab was told to sit down and eat. Yes, but my wife Greta too, said he, and he seated himself with her at the table. And when the first servant came with a dish of delicate fare, The peasant nudged his wife and said, Greta, that was the first, meaning that was the servant who brought the first dish. The servant, however, thought he intended by that to say, That is the first thief. And as he actually was so, he was terrified and said to his comrade also, The doctor knows all. We shall fare ill. He said I was the first. The second "'did not want to go in at all, but was forced. "'So when he went in with his dish, "'the peasant nudged his wife and said, "'Greta, that is the second. "'This servant was just as much alarmed, and he got out. "'The third did not fare better, "'for the peasant again said, "'Greta, that is the third. "'The fourth had to carry in a dish that was covered, "'and the Lord told the doctor that he was to show his skill, "'and guess what was beneath the cover?' THE DOCTOR LOOKED AT THE DISH, HAD NO IDEA WHAT IT WAS, AND CRIED, AH, poor CRAB! WHEN THE LORD HEARD THAT, HE CRIED, THERE, HE KNOWS IT, HE KNOWS WHO HAS THE MONEY. ON THIS THE SERVANTS LOOKED TERRIBLY UNEASY, AND MADE A SIGN TO THE DOCTOR THAT THEY WISHED HIM TO STEP OUTSIDE FOR A MOMENT. When therefore he went out, all four of them confessed to him that they had stolen the money, and said that they would willingly restore it and give him a heavy sum into the bargain, if he would not denounce them. For if he did, they would be hanged. They led him to the spot where the money was concealed. With this the doctor was satisfied, and returned to the hall, sat down to the table, and said, "'My lord, now I will search in my book where the gold is hidden.' The fifth servant however crept into the stove to hear if the doctor knew still more the doctor however sat still and opened his abc book turned the pages backwards and forwards and looked for the cock as he could not find it immediately he said i know you are there so you had better show yourself then the fellow in the stove thought that the doctor meant him and full of terror sprang out crying That man knows everything. Then Dr. Nowell showed the count where the money was, but did not say who had stolen it, and received from both sides much money in reward, and became a renowned man. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 99 The Spirit in the bottle there was once a poor woodcutter who toiled from early morning till late night when at last he had laid by some money he said to his boy you are my only child i will spend the money which i have earned with the sweat of my brow on your education "'If you learn some honest trade, you can support me in my old age, "'when my limbs have grown stiff, and I am obliged to stay at home.' "'Then the boy went to a high school, and learned diligently, "'so that his masters praised him, and remained there a long time. "'When he had worked through two classes, but was still not yet perfect in everything,' The little pittance which the father had earned was all spent, and the boy was obliged to return home to him. "'Ah!' said the father sorrowfully, "'I can give you no more, "'and in those hard times I cannot earn a farthing "'more than will suffice for our daily bread.' "'Dear father,' answered the son, "'don't trouble yourself about it. "'If it is God's will,' IT WILL TURN TO MY ADVANTAGE, I SHALL SOON ACCUSTOM MYSELF TO IT. WHEN THE FATHER WANTED TO GO INTO THE FOREST TO EARN MONEY BY HELPING TO PILE AND STACK WOOD, AND ALSO CHOP IT, THE SON SAID, I WILL GO WITH YOU AND HELP YOU. NAY, MY SON, SAID THE FATHER, THAT WOULD BE HARD FOR YOU, YOU ARE NOT ACCUSTOMED TO ROUGH WORK, AND WILL NOT BE ABLE TO BEAR IT. Besides, I have only one axe, and no money left to buy another. Just go to the neighbour, answered the son. He will lend you his axe, until I have earned one for myself. The father then borrowed an axe of the neighbour, and next morning, at break of day, they went out into the forest together. The son helped his father, and was quite merry and brisk about it. But when the sun was right over their heads, the father said, WE WILL REST, AND HAVE OUR DINNER, AND THEN WE SHALL WORK AS WELL AGAIN. THE SON TOOK HIS BREAD IN HIS HANDS, AND SAID, JUST YOU REST, FATHER. I AM NOT TIRED. I WILL WALK UP AND DOWN A LITTLE IN THE FOREST, AND LOOK FOR BIRDS' NESTS. Oh, YOU FOOL, SAID THE FATHER, WHY SHOULD YOU WANT TO RUN ABOUT THERE? AFTERWARDS YOU WILL BE TIRED, AND NO LONGER ABLE TO RAISE YOUR ARM. Stay here, and sit down beside me. The sun, however, went into the forest, ate his bread, was very merry, and peered in among the green branches to see if he could discover a bird's nest anywhere. So he went up and down to see if he could find a bird's nest, until at last he came to a great, dangerous-looking oak, which certainly was already many hundred years old. AND WHICH FIVE MEN COULD NOT HAVE SPANNED. HE STOOD STILL, AND LOOKED AT IT, AND THOUGHT, MANY A BIRD MUST HAVE BUILT ITS NEST IN THAT. THEN ALL AT ONCE IT SEEMED TO HIM THAT HE HEARD A VOICE. HE LISTENED, AND BECAME AWARE THAT SOMEONE WAS CRYING IN A VERY smothered VOICE, LET ME OUT, LET ME OUT. He looked around, but could discover nothing. Nevertheless he fancied that the voice came out of the ground. Then he cried, ''Where are you?'' The voice answered, ''I am down here among the roots of the oak tree. Let me out, let me out.'' The scholar began to loosen the earth under the tree, and search among the roots, until at last he found a glass bottle in a little hollow. HE LIFTED IT UP, AND HELD IT AGAINST THE LIGHT, AND THEN SAW A CREATURE SHAPED LIKE A FROG, SPRINGING UP AND DOWN IN IT. LET ME OUT, LET ME OUT, IT CRIED ANEW, AND THE SCHOLAR, THINKING NO EVIL, DREW THE CORK OUT OF THE BOTTLE. IMMEDIATELY A SPIRIT ASCENDED FROM IT, AND BEGAN TO GROW, AND GREW SO FAST THAT IN A VERY FEW MOMENTS HE STOOD BEFORE THE SCHOLAR, A TERRIBLE FELLOW, AS BIG AS HALF THE TREE BY WHICH HE WAS STANDING. DO YOU KNOW, HE CRIED IN AN AWFUL VOICE, WHAT YOUR WAGES ARE FOR HAVING LET ME OUT? NO, REPLIED THE SCHOLAR FEARLESSLY, HOW SHOULD I KNOW THAT? THEN I WILL TELL YOU, CRIED THE SPIRIT, I MUST STRANGLE YOU FOR IT. YOU SHOULD HAVE TOLD ME THAT SOONER, SAID THE SCHOLAR. For I should then have left you shut up, But my head shall stand fast for all you can do. More persons than one must be consulted about that. More persons here, more persons there, said the spirit. You shall have the wages you have earned. Do you think that I was shut up there For such a long time as a favour? No, it was a punishment for me. I am the mighty mercurius whoever releases me i must strangle softly answered the scholar not so fast i must first know that you really were shut up in that little bottle and that you are the right spirit if indeed you can get in again i will believe and then you may do as you will with me the spirit said haughtily that is a very trifling fate, drew himself together, and made himself as small and slender as he had been at first, so that he crept through the same opening, and right through the neck of the bottle in again. Scarcely was he inside than the scholar thrust the cork he had drawn back into the bottle, and threw it among the roots of the oak, into its old place, AND THE SPIRIT WAS BETRAYED. AND NOW THE SCHOLAR WAS ABOUT TO RETURN TO HIS FATHER, BUT THE SPIRIT CRIED VERY piteously, AH, DO LET ME OUT, AH, DO LET ME OUT. NO, ANSWERED THE SCHOLAR, NOT A SECOND TIME. HE WHO HAS ONCE TRIED TO TAKE MY LIFE SHALL NOT BE SET FREE BY ME, NOW THAT I HAVE CAUGHT HIM AGAIN. IF YOU WILL SET ME FREE, SAID THE SPIRIT, "'I will give you so much "'that you will have plenty "'all the days of your life.' "'No,' answered the boy. "'You would cheat me "'as you did the first time. "'You are playing away "'with your own good luck,' "'said the spirit. "'I will do you no harm, "'but will reward you richly.' "'The scholar thought, "'I will venture it. "'Perhaps he will keep his word. "'And anyhow,' "'He shall not get the better of me.' "'Then he took out the cork, and the spirit rose up from the bottle, "'as he had done before, stretched himself out, "'and became as big as a giant. "'Now you shall have your reward,' said he, "'and handed the scholar a little bag, just like a plaster, and said, "'If you spread one end of this over a wound, it will heal.' AND IF YOU rub STEEL OR IRON WITH THE OTHER END, IT WILL BE CHANGED INTO SILVER. I MUST JUST TRY THAT, SAID THE SCHOLAR, AND WENT TO A TREE, TORE OFF THE BARK WITH HIS AXE, AND RUBBED IT WITH ONE END OF THE PLASTER. IT IMMEDIATELY CLOSED TOGETHER, AND WAS HEALED. NOW IT IS ALL RIGHT, HE SAID TO THE SPIRIT, AND WE CAN PART. THE SPIRIT THANKED HIM. FOR HIS RELEASE, AND THE BOY THANKED THE SPIRIT FOR HIS PRESENT, AND WENT BACK TO HIS FATHER. "'Where have you been racing about?' said the father. "'Why have you forgotten your work?' "'I said at once that you would never get on with anything.' "'Be easy, father. I will make it up.' "'Make it up indeed,' said the father angrily. "'There's no art in it.' "'Take care, father.' I WILL SOON HEW THAT TREE THERE, SO THAT IT WILL SPLIT. THEN HE TOOK HIS PLASTER, RUBBED THE AXE WITH IT, AND DEALT A MIGHTY BLOW. BUT AS THE IRON HAD CHANGED INTO SILVER, THE EDGE TURNED. Hollow, FATHER, JUST LOOK WHAT A BAD AXE YOU'VE GIVEN ME. IT HAS BECOME QUITE CROOKED. THE FATHER WAS SHOCKED AND SAID, AH, WHAT HAVE YOU DONE? Now I shall have to pay for that, and have not the wherewithal, and that is all the good I have got by your work. Don't get angry, said the son. I will soon pay for the axe. Oh, you blockhead, cried the father. With what will you pay for it? You have nothing but what I give you. These are students' tricks that are sticking in your head. BUT YOU HAVE NO IDEA OF WOOD-CUTTING. AFTER A WHILE THE SCHOLAR SAID, FATHER, I CAN REALLY WORK NO MORE. WE HAD BETTER TAKE A HOLIDAY. Eh, WHAT? ANSWERED HE. DO YOU THINK I WILL SIT WITH MY HANDS LYING IN MY LAP LIKE YOU? I MUST GO ON WORKING, BUT YOU MAY TAKE YOURSELF OFF HOME. FATHER, I AM HERE IN THIS WOOD FOR THE FIRST TIME. I DON'T KNOW MY WAY ALONE. DO GO WITH ME. AS HIS ANGER HAD NOW ABATED, THE FATHER AT LAST LET HIMSELF BE PERSUADED, AND WENT HOME WITH HIM. THEN HE SAID TO HIS SON, GO AND SELL YOUR DAMAGED AXE, AND SEE WHAT YOU CAN GET FOR IT, AND I MUST EARN THE DIFFERENCE IN ORDER TO PAY THE NEIGHBOUR. THE SON TOOK THE AXE, AND CARRIED IT into town to a goldsmith, who tested it, laid it in the scales, and said, It is worth four hundred farlers. I have not so much as that with me. The son said, Give me what you have. I will lend you the rest. The goldsmith gave him three hundred farlers, and remained a hundred in his debt. The son thereupon went home, and said, Father, I HAVE GOT THE MONEY. GO AND ASK THE NEIGHBOUR WHAT HE WANTS FOR THE axe. I KNOW THAT ALREADY, ANSWERED THE OLD MAN, ONE FALLA, SIX GROSCHEN. THEN GIVE HIM TWO farlers, TWELVE GROSCHEN. THAT IS DOUBLE AND ENOUGH. SEE, I HAVE MONEY IN PLENTY. AND HE GAVE THE FATHER A HUNDRED farlers AND SAID, YOU SHALL NEVER KNOW WANT. LIVE AS COMFORTABLY AS YOU LIKE. Good heavens, said the father, how have you come by these riches? The scholar then told how all had come to pass, and how he, trusting in his luck, had made such a good hit. But with the money that was left, he went back to the high school, and went on learning more. And as he could heal all wounds with his plaster, he became the most famous doctor in the whole world. Grim's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook, and its underlying text, is in the public domain. Number 100. The Devil's Sooty Brother. A disbanded soldier had nothing to live on, and did not know how to get on. So he went out into the forest, and when he had walked for a short time, he met a little man who was, however, the devil. The little man said to him, What ails you? You seem so very sorrowful. Then the soldier said, I am hungry, but have no money. The devil said, If you will hire yourself to me, and be my serving man, you shall have enough for all your life. "'You shall serve me for seven years, "'and after that you shall again be free. "'But one thing I must tell you, "'and that is, you must not wash, comb, or trim yourself, "'or cut your hair or nails, "'or wipe the water from your eyes.' "'The soldier said, "'All right, if there is no help for it, "'and went off with the little man.' "'who straightaway led him down into hell. "'Then he told him what he had to do. "'He was to poke the fire under the kettles "'wherein the hell-broth was stewing, "'keep the house clean, "'drive all the sweepings behind the doors, "'and see that everything was in order. "'But if he once peeped into the kettles, "'it would go ill with him. "'The soldier said, "'Good, I will take care.' And then the old devil went out again on his wanderings, and the soldier entered upon his new duties, made the fire, and swept the dirt behind the doors, just as he had been bidden. When the old devil came back again, he looked to see if all had been done, appeared satisfied, and went forth a second time. The soldier now took a good look on every side, the kettles were standing all round hell, with a mighty fire below them, and inside they were boiling and sputtering. He would have given anything to look inside them, if the devil had not so particularly forbidden him. At last he could no longer restrain himself, slightly raised the lid of the first kettle, and peeped in, and there he saw his former corporal shut in. "'Aha, old bird,' said he, he?' "'Do I meet you here? You once had me in your power. Now I have you.' And he quickly let the lid fall, poked the fire, and added a fresh log. After that he went to the second kettle, raised its lid, also a little, and peeped in. His former ensign was in that. "'Aha, old bird! So I find you here.' "'You once had me in your power, now I have you.' He closed the lid again, and fetched yet another log to make it really hot. Then he went to see who might be sitting up in the third kettle. It was actually a general. Uh "'Aha, old bird! Do I meet you here? "'Once you had me in your power, now I have you.' And he fetched the bellows, and made hell-fire blaze right under him. So he did his work seven years in hell, did not wash, comb, or trim himself, or cut his hair or nails, or wash the water out of his eyes. And the seven years seemed so short to him that he thought he had only been half a year. Now when the time had fully gone by, the devil came and said, "'Well, Hans, what have you done?' I poked the fire under the kettles, and I have swept all the dirt well behind the doors. "'But you have peeped into the kettles as well. "'It is lucky for you that you added fresh logs to them, "'or else your life would have been forfeited. "'Now that your time is up, will you go home again?' "'Yes,' said the soldier. "'I should very much like to see what my father is doing at home.' THE DEVIL SAID, IN ORDER THAT YOU MAY RECEIVE THE WAGES YOU HAVE EARNED, GO AND FILL YOUR KNAPSACK FULL OF THE SWEEPINGS, AND TAKE IT HOME WITH YOU. YOU MUST ALSO GO UNWASHED AND UNCOMBED, WITH LONG HAIR ON YOUR HEAD AND BEARD, AND WITH UNCUT NAILS AND DIM EYES. AND WHEN YOU ARE ASKED WHERE YOU ARE FROM, YOU MUST SAY, FROM HELL. AND WHEN YOU ARE ASKED WHO YOU ARE, YOU ARE TO SAY, THE DEVIL'S SOOTY BROTHER, AND MY KING AS WELL. THE SOLDIER HELD HIS PEACE, AND DID AS THE DEVIL BADE HIM. BUT HE WAS NOT AT ALL SATISFIED WITH HIS WAGES. THEN AS SOON AS HE WAS UP IN THE FOREST AGAIN, HE TOOK HIS KNAPSACK FROM HIS BACK TO EMPTY IT, BUT ON OPENING IT THE SWEEPINGS HAD BECOME PURE GOLD. I should never have expected that, said he, and was well pleased and entered the town. The landlord was standing in front of the inn, and when he saw the soldier approaching, he was terrified, because Hans looked so horrible, worse than a scarecrow. He called to him and asked, Where do you come from? From hell. Who are you? THE DEVIL'S SOOTY BROTHER, AND MY KING AS WELL. THEN THE HOST WOULD NOT LET HIM ENTER, BUT WHEN HANS SHOWED HIM THE GOLD, HE CAME AND UNLATCHED THE DOOR HIMSELF. HANS THEN ORDERED THE BEST ROOM AND ATTENDANCE, ATE AND DRANK HIS FILL, BUT NEITHER WASHED NOR COMBED HIMSELF, AS THE DEVIL HAD BIDDEN HIM, AND AT LAST lay DOWN TO SLEEP. BUT THE KNAPSACK, FULL OF GOLD, "'remained before the eyes of the landlord, "'and left him no peace, "'and during the night he crept in and stole it away. "'Next morning, however, when Hans got up "'and wanted to pay the landlord and travel further, "'the knapsack was gone. "'But he soon composed himself and thought, "'You have been unfortunate from no fault of your own and straightway went back again to hell, complained of his misfortune to the old devil, and begged for his help. The devil said, "Sit yourself! I will wash, comb, and trim you, cut your hair and nails, and wash your eyes for you. And when he had done with him, he gave him the knapsack back again, full of sweepings, and said, Go and tell the landlord that he must return you your money, or else I will come and fetch him, and he shall poke the fire in your place. Hans went up and said to the landlord, You have stolen my money. If you do not return it, you shall go down to hell in my place, and will look as horrible as I.' Then the landlord gave him the money, and more besides, only begging him to keep it secret, and Hans was now a rich man. He set out on his way home to his father, bought himself a shabby smock-frock to wear, and strolled about making music, for he had learned to do that while he was with the devil in hell. There was, however, an old king in that country, before whom He had to play, and the king was so delighted with his playing that he promised him his eldest daughter in marriage. But when she heard that she was to be married to a common fellow in a smock-frock, she said, Rather than do that, I would go into the deepest water. Then the king gave him the youngest, who was quite willing to do it to please her father, and thus the devil's sooty brother got the king's daughter, and when the aged king died, the whole kingdom likewise. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 101. Bearskin. There was once a young fellow who enlisted as a soldier... CONDUCTED HIMSELF BRAVELY, AND WAS ALWAYS THE FOREMOST WHEN IT RAINED BULLETS. AS LONG AS THE WAR LASTED, ALL WENT WELL, BUT WHEN PEACE WAS MADE, HE RECEIVED HIS DISMISSAL, AND THE CAPTAIN SAID HE MIGHT GO WHERE HE LIKED. HIS PARENTS WERE DEAD, AND HE HAD NO LONGER A HOME, SO HE WENT TO HIS BROTHERS AND BEGGED THEM TO TAKE HIM IN, AND KEEP HIM UNTIL WAR BROKE OUT AGAIN. The brothers, however, were hard-hearted, and said, "'What can we do with you? You are of no use to us. "'Go and make a living for yourself.' The soldier had nothing left but his gun. He took that on his shoulder, and went forth into the world. He came to a wide heath, on which nothing was to be seen but a circle of trees. Under these he sat sorrowfully down, AND BEGAN TO THINK OVER HIS FATE. I HAVE NO MONEY, THOUGHT HE. I HAVE LEARNED NO TRADE, BUT THAT OF FIGHTING. AND NOW THAT THEY HAVE MADE PEACE, THEY DON'T WANT ME ANY LONGER. SO I SEE BEFOREHAND THAT I SHALL HAVE TO STARVE. ALL AT ONCE HE HEARD A RUSTLING, AND WHEN HE LOOKED ROUND, a strange man stood before him who wore a green coat and looked right stately but had a hideous cloven foot i know already what you are in need of said the man golden possessions you shall have as much as you can make away with do what you will but first i must know if you are fearless that i may not bestow my money in vain A SOLDIER IN FEAR? HOW CAN THOSE TWO THINGS GO TOGETHER? HE ANSWERED. YOU CAN PUT ME TO THE PROOF. VERY WELL, THEN, ANSWERED THE MAN. LOOK BEHIND YOU. THE SOLDIER TURNED ROUND AND SAW A LARGE BEAR, WHICH CAME GROWLING TOWARDS HIM. OHO! CRIED THE SOLDIER. I WILL TICKLE YOUR NOSE FOR YOU, SO THAT YOU SHALL SOON LOSE YOUR FANCY FOR GROWLING and he aimed at the bear and shot it through the muzzle. It fell down and never stirred again. I see quite well, said the stranger, that you are not wanting in courage, but there is still another condition which you will have to fulfil. If it does not endanger my salvation, replied the soldier, who knew very well who was standing by him, If it does, I'll have nothing to do with it. "'You will look to that for yourself,' answered Greencoat. "'You shall, for the next seven years, never wash yourself, "'never comb your beard, nor your hair, nor cut your nails, "'nor say one paternoster. "'I will give you a coat and a cloak, which... During this time you must wear. If you die during these seven years, you are mine. If you remain alive, you are free and rich to boot, For all the rest of your life. The soldier fought of the great extremity, In which he now found himself, And as he so often had gone to meet death, He resolved to risk it now also, AND AGREED TO THE TERMS. THE DEVIL TOOK OFF HIS GREEN COAT, GAVE IT TO THE SOLDIER, AND SAID, IF YOU HAVE THIS COAT ON YOUR BACK, AND PUT YOUR HAND INTO THE POCKET, YOU WILL ALWAYS FIND IT FULL OF MONEY. THEN HE PULLED THE SKIN OFF THE BEAR, AND SAID, THIS SHALL BE YOUR CLOAK, AND YOUR BED ALSO, FOR ON THIS YOU SHALL SLEEP, AND IN NO OTHER BED SHALL YOU LIE and because of this apparel you shall be called Bearskin. After this the devil vanished. The soldier put the coat on, felt at once in the pocket, and found that the thing was really true. Then he put on the Bearskin, and went forth into the world, and enjoyed himself refraining from nothing that did him good and his money harm. During the first year his appearance was passable, but during the second he began to look like a monster. His hair covered nearly the whole of his face, his beard was like a piece of coarse felt, his fingers had claws, and his face was so covered with dirt that if cress had been sewn on it, it would have grown. Whoever saw him ran away, But as he always gave the poor money to pray that he might not die during the seven years, and as he paid well for everything, he still always found shelter. In the fourth year he entered an inn where the landlord would not receive him, and would not even let him have a place in the stable, because he was afraid the horses would be scared. But as Bearskin thrust his hand into his pocket and pulled out handfuls of ducats, the host let himself be persuaded and gave him a room in an outhouse. Bearskin was, however, obliged to promise not to let himself be seen, lest the inn should get a bad name. As Bearskin was sitting alone in the evening, and wishing from the bottom of his heart that the seven years were over, he heard a loud lamenting in a neighbouring room. He had a compassionate heart, so he opened the door, and saw an old man weeping bitterly, and wringing his hands. Bearskin went nearer, but the man sprang to his feet, and tried to escape from him. At last, when the man perceived that Bearskin's voice was human, he let himself be prevailed on, and by kind words Bearskin succeeded so far that the old man revealed the cause of his grief. His property had dwindled away by degrees. He and his daughters would have to starve, and he was so poor that he could not pay the innkeeper and was to be put in prison.' ''If that is your only trouble,'' said Bearskin, ''I have plenty of money.'' He had the innkeeper brought there, paid him, and put a purse full of gold into the poor old man's pocket besides. When the old man saw himself set free from all his troubles, he did not know how to be grateful enough. ''Come with me,'' said he to Bearskin, ''my daughters are all miracles of beauty.'' CHOOSE ONE OF THEM FOR YOURSELF AS A WIFE. WHEN SHE HEARS WHAT YOU HAVE DONE FOR ME, SHE WILL NOT REFUSE YOU. YOU DO IN TRUTH LOOK A LITTLE STRANGE, BUT SHE WILL SOON PUT YOU TO RIGHTS AGAIN. THIS PLEASED BEARSKIN WELL. AND HE WENT. WHEN THE ELDEST SAW HIM, SHE WAS SO TERRIBLY ALARMED AT HIS FACE THAT SHE SCREAMED AND RAN AWAY. THE SECOND STOOD STILL, AND LOOKED AT HIM FROM HEAD TO FOOT, BUT THEN SHE SAID, HOW CAN I ACCEPT A HUSBAND WHO NO LONGER HAS A HUMAN FORM? THE SHAVEN BEAR THAT ONCE WAS HERE, AND PASSED ITSELF OFF FOR A MAN, PLEASED ME FAR BETTER, FOR AT ANY RATE IT WORE A hussar's DRESS, AND WHITE GLOVES. IF IT WERE NOTHING BUT UGLINESS, I MIGHT GET USED TO THAT. The youngest, however, said, "'Dear father, that must be a good man "'to have helped you out of your trouble. "'So if you have promised him a bride for doing it, "'your promise must be kept.' It was a pity that Bearskin's face "'was covered with dirt and with hair, "'for if not, they might have seen how delighted he was "'when he heard these words. "'He took a ring from his finger,' broke it in two, and gave her one half, the other he kept for himself. He wrote his name, however, on her half, and hers on his, and begged her to keep her peace carefully. And then he took his leave and said, I must still wander about for three years, and if I do not return, then you are free, for I shall be dead, but pray to God to preserve my life. The poor betrothed bride dressed herself entirely in black, and when she thought of her future bridegroom, tears came into her eyes. Nothing but contempt and mockery fell to her lot from her sisters. Take care, said the eldest. If you give him your hand, he will strike his claws into it. Beware, said the second. Bears like sweet things, and if he takes a fancy to you, He will eat you up. You must always do as he likes, Began the elder again, Or else he will growl. And the second continued, But the wedding will be a merry one, For bears dance well. The bride was silent, And did not let them vex her, Bearskin, however, travelled about the world from one place to another, did good where he was able, and gave generously to the poor that they might pray for him. At length, as the last day of the seven years dawned, he went once more out onto the heath, and seated himself beneath the circle of trees.' It was not long before the wind whistled and the devil stood before him and looked angrily at him. Then he threw Bearskin his old coat and asked for his own green one back. We have not got so far as that yet, answered Bearskin. You must first make me clean. Whether the devil liked it or not, he was forced to fetch water and wash bearskin, comb his hair, and cut his nails. After this he looked like a brave soldier, and was much handsomer than he had ever been before. When the devil had gone away, bearskin was quite light-hearted. He went into the town, put on a magnificent velvet coat, seated himself in a carriage drawn by four white horses and drove to his bride's house no one recognised him the father took him for a distinguished general and led him into the room where his daughters were sitting he was forced to place himself between the two eldest they helped him to wine gave him the best pieces of meat and thought that in all the world they had never seen a handsomer man the bride, however, sat opposite to him in her black dress, and never raised her eyes, nor spoke a word. When at length he asked the father if he would give him one of his daughters to wed, the two eldest jumped up and ran into their bedrooms to put on splendid dresses, for each of them fancied she was the chosen one. The stranger, as soon as he was alone with his bride, BROUGHT OUT HIS HALF OF THE RING, AND THREW IT IN A GLASS OF WINE, WHICH HE REACHED ACROSS THE TABLE TO HER. SHE TOOK THE WINE, BUT WHEN SHE HAD DRUNK IT, AND FOUND THE HALF-RING LYING AT THE BOTTOM, HER HEART BEGAN TO BEAT. SHE GOT THE OTHER HALF, WHICH SHE WORE ON A RIBBON ROUND HER NECK, JOINED THEM, AND SAW THAT THE TWO PIECES FITTED EXACTLY TOGETHER. Then said he, I am your betrothed bridegroom, whom you saw as bearskin, but through God's grace I have again received my human form, and have once more become clean. He went up to her, embraced her, and gave her a kiss In the meantime, the two sisters came back in full dress, and when they saw that the handsome man had fallen to the share of the youngest, and heard that he was bearskin, they ran out full of anger and rage. One of them drowned herself in the well, the other hanged herself on a tree. In the evening someone knocked at the door, and when the bridegroom opened it, it was the devil in his green coat who said, you see, I have now got two souls in the place of your one. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 102, The Willow Wren and the Bear Once in summertime the bear and the wolf were walking in the forest, and the bear heard a bird singing so beautifully that he said, Brother wolf, what bird is it that sings so well? That is the king of birds, said the wolf, before whom we must bow down. It was, however, in reality the willow wren, Zorn Koenig. If that's the case, said the bear, I should very much like to see his royal palace. Come, take me there. "'That is not done quite as you seem to think,' said the wolf. "'You must wait until the queen comes.' "'Soon afterwards the queen arrived with food in her beak, "'and the lord king came too, and they began to feed their young ones. "'The bear would have liked to go at once, "'but the wolf held him back by the sleeve and said, "'No, you must wait until the lord and lady queen have gone away again.' So they observed the hole, in which was the nest, and trotted away. The bear, however, could not rest until he had seen the royal palace, and when a short time had passed, again went to it. The king and queen had just flown out, so he peeped in and saw five or six young ones lying in it. Is that the royal palace?' cried the bear. "'It is a wretched palace, and you are not king's children.' "'You are disreputable children.' "'When the young wrens heard that, they were frightfully angry and screamed, "'No, that we are not. Our parents are honest people. Bear, you will have to pay for that.' "'The bear and the wolf grew uneasy and turned back and went into their holes.' The young willow wrens, however, continued to cry and scream, and when their parents again brought food, they said, We will not so much as touch one fly's leg. No, not if we were in dying of hunger, until you have settled whether we are respectable children or not. The bear has been here and has insulted us. Then the old king said, Be easy, he shall be punished. And he at once flew with the queen to the bear's cave and called in, Old growler, why have you insulted my children? You shall suffer for it. We will punish you by a bloody war. Thus war was announced to the bear, and all four-footed animals were summoned to take part in it, oxen, asses, cows, deer, and every other animal the earth contained. And the Willow Wren summoned everything which flew in the air, not only birds, large and small, but midges, and hornets, bees, and flies had to come. When the time came for the war to begin, the Willow Wren sent out spies to discover who was the enemy's commander-in-chief. The Gnat, who was the most crafty, flew into the forest where the enemy was assembled and hid herself beneath a leaf of the tree where the watchword was to be given. There stood the bear, and he called the fox before him and said, Fox, you are the most cunning of all animals. You shall be general and lead us. Good, said the fox, but what signal shall we agree upon? No one knew that, so the fox said, I have a fine, long, bushy tail, which almost looks like a plume of red feathers. When I lift my tail up quite high, all is going well, and you must charge, but if I let it hang down, run away as fast as you can. When the gnat had heard that, she flew away again, and revealed everything with the greatest minuteness to the willow wren. When day broke, and the battle was to begin, all the four-footed animals came running up with such a noise that the earth trembled. The willow-wren also came flying through the air with his army, with such a humming and whirring and swarming that everyone was uneasy and afraid, and on both sides they advanced against each other. But the willow-wren sent down the hornet, "'with orders to get beneath the fox's tail, "'and sting with all his might. "'When the fox felt the first sting, "'he started so that he drew up one leg in pain, "'but he bore it and still kept his tail high in the air. "'At the second sting he was forced to put it down for a moment. "'At the third he could hold out no longer, "'and screamed out and put his tail between his legs.' When the animals saw that, they thought all was lost, and began to fly, each into his hole, and the birds had won the battle. Then the king and queen flew home to their children and cried, "'Children, rejoice! Eat and drink to your heart's content! "'We have won the battle!' But the young wren said, "'We will not eat yet. The bear must come to the nest and beg for pardon.' and say that we are honourable children before we will do that. Then the willow wren flew to the bear's hole and cried, Growler, you are to come to the nest to my children and beg their pardon, or else every rib of your body shall be broken. So the bear crept there in the greatest fear and begged their pardon, and now at last the young wrens were satisfied and sat down together and ate and drank, and made merry, till quite late into the night. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 103 Sweet Porridge There was a poor but good little girl who lived alone with her mother, and they no longer had anything to eat, So the child went into the forest, and there an aged woman met her, who was aware of her sorrow, and presented her with a little pot, which when she said, "'Cook, little pot, cook,' would cook good sweet porridge. And when she said, "'Stop, little pot,' it ceased to cook. The girl took the pot home to her mother, and now they were freed from their poverty and hunger, and ate sweet porridge as often as they chose.' Once, on a time, when the girl had gone out, her mother said, "'Cook, little pot, cook!' And it did cook, and she ate till she was satisfied. And then she wanted the pot to stop cooking, but did not know the word. So it went on cooking, and the porridge rose over the edge, and still it cooked on until the kitchen and whole house were full, and then the next house, and then the whole street— just as if it wanted to satisfy the hunger of the whole world, and there was the greatest distress. But no one knew how to stop it. At last, when only one single house remained, the child came home and just said, Stop, little pot, and it stopped, and gave up cooking, and whoever wished to return to the town had to eat his way back. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 104. Wise Folks. One day a peasant took his good hazel stick out of the corner and said to his wife, Trina, I am going across country "'and shall not return for three days. "'If during that time the cattle-dealer should happen to call "'and want to buy our free cows, you may strike a bargain at once, "'but not unless you can get two hundred farlers for them. "'Nothing less, do you hear?' "'For heaven's sakes, just go in peace,' answered the woman. "'I will manage it.' "'You indeed,' said the man. "'You once fell on your head when you were a little child, "'and that affects you even now.' but let me tell you this if you do anything foolish i will make your back black and blue and not with paint i assure you but with the stick which i have in my hand and the colouring shall last a whole year you may rely on that and having said that the man went on his way next morning the cattle dealer came and the woman had no need to say many words to him when he had seen the cows and heard the price, he said, I am quite willing to give that. Honestly speaking, they are worth it. I will take the beasts away with me, at once. He unfastened their chains, and drove them out of the barn. But just as he was going out of the door, the woman clutched him by the sleeve, and said, You must give me the two hundred farles now, or I cannot let the cows go. True! answered the man, but I have forgotten to buckle on my money-belt. Have no fear, however, you shall have security for my paying. I will take two cows with me, and leave one, and then you will have a good pledge. The woman saw the force of this, and let the man go away with the cows, and thought to herself, how pleased Hans will be when he finds how cleverly I have managed it. The peasant came home on the third day, as he had said he would, and at once inquired if the cows were sold. Yes, indeed, dear Hans, answered the woman, and as you said, for two hundred farlers. They are scarcely worth so much, but the man took them without making any objection. Where is the money? asked the peasant. Oh, I have not got the money, replied the woman. HE HAD HAPPENED TO FORGET HIS MONEY-BELT, BUT HE WILL SOON BRING IT, AND HE LEFT GOOD SECURITY BEHIND HIM. WHAT KIND OF SECURITY? ASKED THE MAN. ONE OF THE FREE COWS, WHICH HE SHALL NOT HAVE UNTIL HE has PAID FOR THE OTHER TWO. I HAVE MANAGED VERY CUNNINGLY, FOR I HAVE KEPT THE SMALLEST, WHICH EATS THE LEAST. THE MAN WAS IN RAGE, AND LIFTED UP HIS STICK and was just going to give her the beating he had promised her, suddenly he let the stick fail, and said, "'You are the stupidest goose that ever waddled on God's earth. "'But I am sorry for you. "'I will go out into the highways and wait for three days "'to see if I find anyone who is still stupider than you. "'If I succeed in doing so, you shall go scot-free,' but if I do not find him, you shall receive your well-deserved reward without any discount. He went out into the great highways, sat down on a stone, and waited for what would happen. Then he saw a peasant's wagon coming towards him, and a woman was standing upright in the middle of it. Instead of sitting on the bundle of straw which was lying beside her, OR WALKING NEAR THE OXEN, AND LEADING THEM, THE MAN thought TO HIMSELF, THAT IS CERTAINLY ONE OF THE KIND I AM IN SEARCH OF, AND JUMPED UP, AND RAN BACKWARDS AND FORWARDS IN FRONT OF THE WAGON, LIKE ONE WHO IS NOT VERY WISE. WHAT DO YOU WANT, MY FRIEND, SAID THE WOMAN TO HIM, I DON'T KNOW YOU, WHERE DO YOU COME FROM? I'VE FALLEN DOWN FROM HEAVEN, REPLIED THE MAN, AND DON'T KNOW HOW TO GET BACK AGAIN. COULDN'T YOU DRIVE ME UP? NO, SAID THE WOMAN, I DON'T KNOW THE WAY, BUT IF YOU COME FROM HEAVEN, YOU CAN SURELY TELL ME HOW MY HUSBAND, WHO HAS BEEN THERE THESE THREE YEARS, IS. YOU MUST HAVE SEEN HIM. OH, YES, I HAVE SEEN HIM, BUT ALL MEN CAN'T GET ON WELL. He keeps sheep, and the sheep give him a great deal to do. They run up the mountains, and lose their way in the wilderness, and he has to run after them, and drive them together again. His clothes are all torn to pieces too, and will soon fall off his body. There is no tailor there, for St. Peter won't let any of them in, as you know by the story. "'Who would have thought it?' cried the woman." "'I tell you what, I will fetch his Sunday coat, "'which is still hanging at home in the cupboard. "'He can wear that and look respectable. "'You will be so kind as to take it with you.' "'That won't do very well,' answered the peasant. "'People are not allowed to take clothes into heaven. "'They are taken away from one at the gate.' "'Then listen,' said the woman. "'I sold my fine wheat yesterday.' "'and got a good lot of money for it. "'I will send that to him. "'If you hide the purse in your pocket, "'no one will know that you have it.' "'If you can't manage it any other way,' said the peasant, "'I will do you that favour. "'Just sit still where you are,' said she, "'and I will drive home and fetch the purse. "'I shall soon be back again.' "'I do not sit down on the bundle of straw, "'but stand up in the wagon, "'because it makes it lighter for the cattle.' "'She drove her oxen away, and the peasant thought, "'That woman has a perfect talent for folly. "'If she really brings the money, "'my wife may think herself fortunate, "'for she will get no beating.' "'It was not long,' before she came in a great hurry with the money, and with her own hands put it in his pocket. Before she went away she thanked him again a thousand times for his courtesy. When the woman got home again she found her son who had come in from the field. She told him what unlooked-for things had befallen her, and then added, I am truly delighted at having found an opportunity of sending something to my poor husband, who would ever have imagined that he could be suffering for want of anything up in heaven. The son was full of astonishment. Mother, said he, it is not every day that a man comes from heaven in this way. I will go out immediately and see if he is still to be found." He must tell me what it is like up there, and how the work is done. He saddled the horse, and rode off with all speed. He found the peasant who was sitting under a willow tree, and was just going to count the money in the purse. "'Have you seen the man who has fallen down from heaven?' cried the youth to him. "'Yes,' answered the peasant. "'He has set out on his way back there, and has gone up that hill.' "'from where it will be rather nearer. "'You could still catch him up "'if you were to ride fast.' "'Alas,' said the youth, "'I have been doing tiring work all day, "'and the ride here has completely worn me out. "'You know the man. "'Be so kind as to get on my horse "'and go and persuade him to come here.' "'Aha!' thought the peasant. "'Here is another.' who has no wick in his lamp. But he said, Why should I not do you this favour? And mounted the horse, and rode off in a quick trot. The youth remained sitting there till night fell, but the peasant never came back. The man from heaven must certainly have been in a great hurry, and would not turn back, thought he, and the peasant "'has no doubt given him the horse to take to my father.' "'He went home and told his mother what had happened, "'and that he had sent his father the horse, "'so that he might not have to be always running about. "'You have done well,' answered she. "'Your legs are younger than his, and you can go on foot.' "'When the peasant got home,' He put the horse in the stable beside the cow, which he had as a pledge, and then went to his wife and said, Trina, as luck would have it, I have found two who are still sillier fools than you. This time you escape without a beating. I will store it up for another occasion. Then he lighted his pipe, sat down in his grandfather's chair, and said, it was a good stroke of business to get a sleek horse and a great purse full of money into the bargain for two lean cows. If stupidity always brought in as much as that, I would be quite willing to hold it an honour. So fought the peasant, but you no doubt prefer the simple folks.' Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 105 Stories About Snakes First Story There was once a little child whose mother gave her every afternoon a small bowl of milk and bread and the child seated herself in the yard with it. When she began to eat, however... A snake came creeping out of a crevice in the wall, dipped its little head in the dish, and ate with her. The child had pleasure in this, and when she was sitting there with her little dish, and the snake did not come at once, she cried, "'Snake, snake, come swiftly. Here come, you tiny thing. You shall have your crumbs of bread. You shall refresh yourself with milk.' Then the snake came in haste and enjoyed its food. Moreover, it showed gratitude, for it brought the child all kinds of pretty things from its hidden treasures bright stones, pearls, and golden playthings. The snake, however, only drank the milk and left the bread crumbs alone. Then one day the child took its little spoon and struck the snake gently on its head with it and said, "'Eat the bread-crumbs as well, little thing.' "'The mother, who was standing in the kitchen, "'heard the child talking to someone, "'and when she saw that she was striking a snake with her spoon, "'ran out with a log of wood and killed the good little creature. "'From that time forth a change came over the child. "'As long as the snake had eaten with her, "'she had grown tall and strong.' but now she lost her pretty rosy cheeks and wasted away. It was not long before the funeral bird began to cry in the night and the redbreast to collect little branches and leaves for a funeral garland, and soon afterwards the child lay on her bier. Second Story An orphan child was sitting on the town walls spinning when she saw a snake coming out of a hole low down in the wall swiftly she spread out beside this one of the blue silk handkerchiefs which snakes have such a strong liking for and which are the only things which they will creep on as soon as the snake saw it it went back then returned bringing with it a small golden crown, laid it on the handkerchief, and then went away again. The girl took up the crown. It glittered and was of delicate golden filigree work. It was not long before the snake came back for the second time, but when it no longer saw the crown, it crept up to the wall, and in its grief smote its little head, "'against it, as long as it had strength to do so, "'until at last it lay there dead. "'If the girl had but left the crown where it was, "'the snake would certainly have brought "'still more of its treasure out of the hole.'" Third story. A snake cries, "'Hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo!' A child says, "'Come out!' The snake comes out, Then the child inquires about her little sister. Have you not seen little red stockings? The snake says, no. Neither have I. Then I am like you. Hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 106. The Poor Miller's Boy and the Cat In a certain mill lived an old miller, who had neither wife nor child, and three apprentices served under him. As they had been with him several years, he one day said to them, I am old, and want to sit in the chimney corner. Go out, and whoever brings me the best horse home to him... I will give the mill, and in return for it he shall take care of me till my death. The third of the boys was, however, the Drudge, who was looked on as foolish by the others. They could not imagine what he would do with a mill, and in any case he would not have it. All three went out together, and when they came to the village, the two said to stupid Hans, you may just as well stay here. As long as you live, you will never get a horse. Hans, however, went with them, and when it was night, they came to a cave, in which they lay down to sleep. The two sharp ones waited until Hans had fallen asleep, then they got up and went away, leaving him where he was. And they thought they had done a very clever thing, but it was certain TO TURN OUT ILL FOR THEM. WHEN THE SUN ROSE, AND HANS WOKE UP, HE WAS LYING IN A DEEP CAVERN. HE LOOKED AROUND ON EVERY SIDE, AND EXCLAIMED, O oh HEAVENS, WHERE AM I? THEN HE GOT UP AND CLAMBERED OUT OF THE CAVE, WENT INTO THE FOREST, AND THOUGHT, HERE I AM, QUITE ALONE AND DESERTED, HOW SHALL I OBTAIN A HORSE NOW? While he was thus walking full of thought, he met a small tabby cat, which said quite kindly, Hans, where are you going? Alas, you cannot help me. I well know your desire, said the cat. You wish to have a beautiful horse. Come with me, and be my faithful servant for seven years long, and then I will give you one more beautiful than any you have ever seen in your whole life. "'Well, this is a wonderful cat,' thought Hans, "'but I am determined to see if she is telling the truth.' "'So she took him with her into her enchanted castle, "'where there were nothing but cats who were her servants. "'They leapt nimbly upstairs and downstairs, "'and were merry and happy. "'In the evening, when they sat down to dinner, three of them had to make music.' ONE PLAYED THE BASSOON, THE OTHER THE FIDDLE, AND THE THIRD PUT THE TRUMPET TO HIS LIPS, AND BLEW OUT HIS CHEEKS AS MUCH AS HE POSSIBLY COULD. WHEN THEY HAD DINED, THE TABLE WAS CARRIED AWAY, AND THE CAT SAID, NOW, HANS, COME AND DANCE WITH ME. NO, SAID HE, I WON'T DANCE WITH A PUSSY CAT. I HAVE NEVER DONE THAT YET. THEN TAKE HIM TO BED said she to the cats, so one of them lighted his way to his bedroom, one pulled his shoes off, one his stockings, and at last one of them blew out the candle. Next morning they returned and helped him out of bed. One put his stockings on for him, one tied his garters, one brought his shoes, one washed him, and one dried his face with her tail. "'That feels very soft,' said Hans. "'He, however, had to serve the cat and chop some wood every day, "'and to do that he had an axe of silver, "'and the wedge and saw were of silver, and the mallet of copper. "'So he chopped the wood small, stayed there in the house, "'and had good meat and drink, but never saw anyone but the tabby cat and her servants.' One day she said to him, Go and mow my meadow, and dry the grass, And gave him a scythe of silver, And a whetstone of gold, But bade him deliver them up again carefully. So Hans went there, and did what he was bidden, And when he had finished the work, He carried the scythe, whetstone, and hay to the house, And asked if it was not yet time FOR HER TO GIVE HIM HIS REWARD. NO, SAID THE CAT, YOU MUST FIRST DO SOMETHING MORE FOR ME OF THE SAME KIND. THERE IS TIMBER OF SILVER, CARPENTER'S AXE SQUARE, AND EVERYTHING THAT IS NEEDFUL, ALL OF SILVER. WITH THESE, BUILD ME A SMALL HOUSE. Then Hans built the small house, And said that he had now done everything, And still he had no horse. Nevertheless the seven years had gone by with him, As if they were six months. The cat asked him if he would like to see her horses. Yes, said Hans. Then she opened the door of the small house, And when she had opened it, THERE STOOD TWELVE HORSES, SUCH HORSES SO BRIGHT AND SHINING, THAT HIS HEART REJOICED AT THE SIGHT OF THEM. AND NOW SHE GAVE HIM FOOD AND DRINK, AND SAID, GO HOME, I WILL NOT GIVE YOU YOUR HORSE AWAY WITH YOU, BUT IN THREE DAYS' TIME I WILL FOLLOW YOU AND BRING IT. SO HANS SET OUT, AND SHE SHOWED HIM THE WAY TO THE MILL. SHE HAD, HOWEVER, NEVER ONCE GIVEN HIM A NEW COAT and he had been obliged to keep on his dirty old smock-frock, which he had brought with him, and which during the seven years had everywhere become too small for him. When he reached home, the two other apprentices were there again as well, and each of them certainly had brought a horse with him, but one of them was a blind one, and the other lame. They asked Hans where his horse was, It will follow me in three days' time. Then they laughed, and said, Indeed, stupid Hans, where will you get a horse? It will be a fine one. Hans went into the parlour, but the miller said he should not sit down to table, for he was so ragged and torn that they would all be ashamed of him if any one came in so they gave him a mouthful of food outside, and at night, when they went to rest, the two others would not let him have a bed, and at last he was forced to creep into the goose-house and lie down on a little hard straw. In the morning, when he awoke, the three days had passed, and a coach came with six horses, and they shone so bright that it was delightful to see them. And a servant brought a seventh as well, which was for the poor miller's boy. And a magnificent princess alighted from the coach, and went into the mill, and this princess was the little tabby cat, whom poor Hans had served for seven years. She asked the miller where the miller's boy, and Drudge was. Then the miller said, "'We cannot have him here in the mill, for he is so ragged, "'he is lying in the goose-house.' "'Then the king's daughters said that they were to bring him immediately. "'So they brought him out, "'and he had to hold his little smock-frock together to cover himself. "'The servants unpacked splendid garments, "'and washed him and dressed him, "'and when that was done, no king could have looked more handsome.' THEN THE MAIDEN DESIRED TO SEE THE HORSES, WHICH THE OTHER APPRENTICES HAD BROUGHT HOME WITH THEM, AND ONE OF THEM WAS BLIND AND THE OTHER LAME. SO SHE ORDERED THE SERVANT TO BRING THE SEVENTH HORSE, AND WHEN THE MILLER SAW IT, HE SAID THAT SUCH A HORSE AS THAT HAD NEVER YET ENTERED HIS YARD. AND THAT IS FOR THE MILLER'S THIRD BOY, SAID SHE. THEN HE MUST HAVE THE MILL, SAID THE MILLER. But the king's daughter said that the horse was there, And that he was to keep his mill as well, And took her faithful hands, And set him in the coach, And drove away with him. They first drove to the little house, Which he had built with the silver tools, And, behold, it was a great castle, And everything inside it was of silver and gold. And then she married him, And he was rich, so rich that he had enough for all the rest of his life. After this, let no one ever say that anyone who is silly can never become a person of importance. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt Read by Paul Martin This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. NUMBER 107. THE TWO TRAVELERS Hill and Vale do not come together, but the children of men do, good and bad. In this way a shoemaker and a tailor once met with each other in their travels. The tailor was a handsome little fellow who was always merry and full of enjoyment. He saw the shoemaker coming towards him from the other side and as he observed by his bag what kind of a trade he plied he sang a little mocking song to him sew me the seam draw me the thread spread it over with pitch knock the nail on the head the shoemaker however could not endure a joke he made a face as if he had drunk vinegar and gestured as if he were about to seize the tailor by the throat but the little fellow began to laugh, reached him his bottle, and said, No harm was meant. Take a drink, and swallow your anger down. The shoemaker took a very hearty drink, and the storm on his face began to clear away. He gave the bottle back to the tailor, and said, I spoke civilly to you. One speaks well after much drinking, but not after much thirst. "'Shall we travel together?' "'All right,' answered the tailor, "'if only it suits you to go into a big town "'where there is no lack of work.' "'That is just where I want to go,' answered the shoemaker. "'In a small nest there is nothing to earn, "'and in the country people like to go barefoot. "'They travel, therefore, onwards together, "'and always set one foot before the other "'like a weasel in the snow.' Both of them had time enough, but little to bite and to break. When they reached a town, they went about and paid their respects to the tradesmen, and because the tailor looked so lively and merry, and had such pretty red cheeks, everyone gave him work willingly. And when luck was good, the master's daughters gave him a kiss beneath the porch as well. When he again fell in with the shoemaker, the tailor... Had always the most in his bundle. The ill-tempered shoemaker made a wry face, And thought, the greater the rascal, the more the luck. But the tailor began to laugh and to sing, And shared all he got with his comrade. If a couple of pence jingled in his pockets, He ordered good cheer, and thumped the table in his joy, Till the glasses danced, and it was lightly come, Lightly go with him. When they had travelled some time, they came to a great forest, Through which passed the road to the capital. Two footpaths, however, led through it, One of which was a seven days' journey, and the other only two, But neither of the travellers knew which way was the short one. They seated themselves beneath an oak-tree, AND TOOK COUNSEL TOGETHER HOW THEY SHOULD FORECAST, AND FOR HOW MANY DAYS THEY SHOULD PROVIDE THEMSELVES WITH BREAD. THE SHOEMAKER SAID, ONE MUST LOOK BEFORE ONE LEAPS. I WILL TAKE WITH ME BREAD FOR A WEEK. WHAT? SAID THE tailor? DRAG BREAD FOR SEVEN DAYS ON ONE'S BACK LIKE A BEAST OF BURDEN, AND NOT BE ABLE TO LOOK ABOUT. I SHALL TRUST IN GOD. AND NOT TROUBLE MYSELF ABOUT ANYTHING. THE MONEY I HAVE IN MY POCKET IS AS GOOD IN SUMMER AS IN WINTER, BUT IN HOT WEATHER BREAD GETS DRY AND MOLDY INTO THE BARGAIN. EVEN MY COAT DOES NOT GO AS FAR AS IT MIGHT. BESIDES, WHY SHOULD WE NOT FIND THE RIGHT WAY? BREAD FOR TWO DAYS, AND THAT'S ENOUGH. EACH, THEREFORE, BOUGHT HIS OWN BREAD, AND THEN THEY TRIED THEIR LUCK IN THE FOREST. It was as quiet there as in a church. No wind stirred, no brook murmured, no bird sang, and through the thickly-leaved branches no sunbeam forced its way. The shoemaker never spoke a word. The heavy bread weighed down his back until the perspiration streamed down his cross and gloomy face. The tailor, however, was quite merry, HE JUMPED ABOUT, WHISTLED ON A LEAF, OR SANG A SONG, AND THOUGHT TO HIMSELF, GOD IN HEAVEN MUST BE PLEASED TO SEE ME SO HAPPY. THIS LASTED TWO DAYS, BUT ON THE THIRD THE FOREST WOULD NOT COME TO AN END, AND THE tailor HAD EATEN UP ALL HIS BREAD, SO AFTER ALL HIS HEART SANK DOWN A YARD DEEPER. IN THE MEANTIME HE DID NOT LOSE COURAGE, BUT RELIED ON GOD AND ON HIS LUCK. On the third day he laid down in the evening hungry under a tree and rose again next morning hungry still. So also passed the fourth day, and when the shoemaker seated himself on a fallen tree and devoured his dinner, the tailor was only a looker-on. If he begged for a little piece of bread, the other laughed mockingly and said, You have always been so merry. Now you can try for once what it is to be sad. The birds which sing too early in the morning are struck by the hawk in the evening. In short, he was pitiless. But on the fifth morning, the poor tailor could no longer stand up and was hardly able to utter one word for weakness. His cheeks were white and his eyes red. Then the shoemaker said to him, I will give you a bit of bread today, but in return for it, I will put out your right eye. The unhappy tailor, who still wished to save his life, could not do it in any other way. He wept once more with both eyes, and then held them open, and the shoemaker, who had a heart of stone, put out his right eye with a sharp knife. The tailor called to remembrance what his mother had formerly said to him when he had been eating secretly in the pantry. Eat what one can, and suffer what one must. When he had consumed his dearly bought bread, he got on his legs again, forgot his misery, and comforted himself with the thought that he could always see enough with one eye. But on the sixth day hunger made itself felt again, and gnawed him almost to the heart. In the evening he fell down by a tree, and on the seventh morning he could not raise himself up for faintness, and death was close at hand. Then said the shoemaker, I will show mercy, and give you bread once more, but you shall not have it for nothing. I shall put out your other eye for it. And now the tailor felt how thoughtless his life had been, Prayed to God for forgiveness, and said, Do what you will, I will bear what I must, But remember that our Lord God does not always look on passively, And that an hour will come when the evil deed which you have done to me, And which I have not deserved of you, will be requited. When times were good with me, I shared what I had with you. My trade is of that kind that each stitch must always be exactly like the other. If I no longer have my eyes, and can sew no more, I must go a-begging. At any rate, do not leave me here alone, when I am blind, or I shall die of hunger. The shoemaker, however, who had driven God out of his heart, took the knife and put out his left eye. Then he gave him a bit of bread to eat, held out a stick to him, and drew him on behind him. When the sun went down, they got out of the forest, and before them in the open country stood the gallows. There the shoemaker guided the blind tailor, and then left him alone, and went his way. Weariness, pain, and hunger made the wretched man fall asleep, and he slept the whole night. When the day dawned, he awoke, but knew not where he lay. Two poor sinners were hanging on the gallows, and a crow sat on the head of each of them. Then one of the men who had been hanged began to speak, and said, Brother, are you awake? Yes, I am awake, answered the second. Then I will tell you something, said the first. The Jew, which is this night, has fallen down over us from the gallows, gives every one who washes himself with it his eyes again. If blind people did but know this, how many would regain their sight, who do not believe that to be possible? When the tailor heard that, he took his handkerchief and pressed it on the grass, and when it was moist with dew, washed the sockets of his eyes with it. Immediately what the man on the gallows had said was fulfilled, and a couple of healthy new eyes filled the sockets. It was not long before the tailor saw the sun rise behind the mountains. In the plain before him lay the great royal city with its magnificent gates and hundred towers, and the golden balls and crosses which were on the spires began to shine. HE COULD DISTINGUISH EVERY LEAF ON THE TREES, SAW THE BIRDS WHICH FLEW PAST, AND THE MIDGES WHICH DANCED IN THE AIR. HE TOOK A NEEDLE OUT OF HIS POCKET, AND AS HE COULD FRET IT AS WELL AS EVER HE HAD DONE, HIS HEART DANCED WITH DELIGHT. HE THREW HIMSELF ON HIS KNEES, THANKED GOD FOR THE MERCY HE HAD SHOWN HIM, AND SAID HIS MORNING PRAYER. HE DID NOT FORGET ALSO TO PRAY FOR THE POOR SINNERS WHO WERE HANGING THERE SWINGING AGAINST EACH OTHER IN THE WIND LIKE THE PENDULUMS OF CLOCKS. THEN HE TOOK HIS BUNDLE ON HIS BACK AND SOON FORGOT THE PAIN OF HEART HE HAD ENDURED AND WENT ON HIS WAY SINGING AND WHISTLING. THE FIRST THING HE MET WAS A BROWN foal RUNNING ABOUT THE FIELDS AT LARGE. He caught it by the mane and wanted to spring on it and ride into the town. The foal, however, begged to be set free. I am still too young, it said. Even a light tailor such as you are would break my back in two. Let me go till I've grown strong. A time may perhaps come when I may reward you for it. Run off, said the tailor i see you are still a giddy thing he gave it a touch with a switch over its back whereupon it kicked up its hind legs for joy leapt over hedges and ditches and galloped away into the open country but the little tailor had eaten nothing since the day before the sun to be sure fills my eyes said he but the bread does not fill my mouth the first thing that comes across me and is even half edible will have to suffer for it in the meantime a stork stepped solemnly over the meadow towards him halt halt cried the tailor and seized him by the leg i don't know if you are good to eat or not but my hunger leaves me no great choice i must cut your head off and roast you DON'T DO THAT, REPLIED THE STORK, I'M A SACRED BIRD, WHICH BRINGS MANKIND GREAT PROFIT, AND NO ONE DOES ME AN INJURY, LEAVE ME MY LIFE, AND I MAY DO YOU GOOD IN SOME OTHER WAY. WELL, BE OFF, COUSIN LONG LEGS, SAID THE tailor. THE STORK ROSE UP, LET ITS LONG LEGS HANG DOWN, AND FLEW GENTLY AWAY. What's to be the end of this? said the tailor to himself at last. My hunger grows greater and greater, and my stomach more and more empty. Whatever comes in my way now is lost. At this moment he saw a couple of young ducks come swimming towards him across a pond. You come just at the right time, said he, and laid hold of one of them, and was about to wring its neck. At this an old duck, which was hidden among the reeds, "'began to scream loudly, and swam to him with open beak, "'and begged him urgently to spare her dear children. "'Can you not imagine,' said she, "'how your mother would mourn if anyone wanted to carry you off "'and give you your finishing stroke? "'Only be quiet,' said the good-tempered tailor, "'you shall keep your children, "'and put the prisoner back into the water.' When he turned round, he was standing in front of an old tree, which was partly hollow, and saw some wild bees flying in and out of it. There I shall at once find the reward of my good deed, said the tailor, the honey will refresh me. But the queen bee came out, Threatened him, and said, If you touch my people and destroy my nest, Our stings shall pierce your skin Like ten thousand red-hot needles. But if you will leave us in peace And go your way, We will do you a service for it Another time. The little tailor saw That here also nothing was to be done. Three dishes empty, AND NOTHING ON THE FOURTH IS A BAD DINNER. HE DRAGGED HIMSELF, THEREFORE, WITH HIS STARVED-OUT STOMACH, INTO THE TOWN, AND AS IT WAS JUST STRIKING TWELVE, ALL WAS READY COOKED FOR HIM IN THE INN, AND HE WAS ABLE TO SIT DOWN AT ONCE TO DINNER. WHEN HE WAS SATISFIED, HE SAID, NOW I WILL GET TO WORK. HE WENT ROUND THE TOWN, SOUGHT A MASTER, AND SOON FOUND A GOOD SITUATION. "'As, however, he had thoroughly learnt his trade, "'it was not long before he became famous "'and everyone wanted to have his new coat "'made by the little tailor, "'whose importance increased daily. "'I can go no further in skill,' said he, "'and yet things improve every day. "'At last the king appointed him court tailor. But how things do happen in the world, On the very same day his former comrade the shoemaker Also became court shoemaker. When the latter caught sight of the tailor And saw that he had once more two healthy eyes, His conscience troubled him. Before he takes revenge on me, thought he to himself, I must dig a pit for him. He, however... WHO DIGS A PIT FOR ANOTHER, FALLS INTO IT HIMSELF. IN THE EVENING, WHEN WORK WAS OVER, AND IT HAD GROWN DUSK, HE STOLE TO THE KING AND SAID, LORD KING THE tailor IS AN ARROGANT FELLOW, AND HAS BOASTED THAT HE WILL GET THE GOLD CROWN BACK AGAIN, WHICH WAS LOST IN ANCIENT TIMES. THAT WOULD PLEASE ME VERY MUCH, SAID THE KING, AND HE HAD THE tailor BROUGHT BEFORE HIM NEXT MORNING, AND ORDERED HIM TO GET THE CROWN BACK AGAIN, OR TO LEAVE THE TOWN FOREVER. OHO, THOUGHT THE tailor. A ROGUE GIVES MORE THAN HE HAS GOT. IF THE SURLY KING WANTS ME TO DO WHAT CAN BE DONE BY NO ONE, I WILL NOT WAIT TILL MORNING, BUT WILL GO OUT OF THE TOWN AT ONCE TODAY. HE PACKED UP HIS BUNDLE, THEREFORE, BUT WHEN HE WAS OUTSIDE THE GATE, HE COULD NOT HELP BEING SORRY TO GIVE UP HIS GOOD FORTUNE, AND TURN HIS BACK ON THE TOWN IN WHICH ALL HAD GONE SO WELL WITH HIM. HE CAME TO THE POND WHERE HE HAD MADE THE ACQUAINTANCE OF THE DUCKS. AT THAT VERY MOMENT THE OLD ONE, WHOSE YOUNG ONES HE HAD SPARED, WAS SITTING THERE BY THE SHORE, PLUMING HERSELF WITH HER BEAK, She knew him again instantly, and asked why he was hanging his head so. "'You will not be surprised when you hear what has befallen me,' replied the tailor, and told her his fate. "'If that be all,' said the duck, "'we can help you. The crown fell into the water, and lies down below at the bottom. We will soon bring it up again for you. In the meantime,' "'Just spread out your handkerchief on the bank.' "'She dived down with her twelve young ones, "'and in five minutes she was up again "'and sat with the crown resting on her wings. "'And the twelve young ones were swimming round about "'and had put their beaks under it "'and were helping to carry it. "'They swam to the shore "'and put the crown on the handkerchief.' No one can imagine how magnificent the crown was. When the sun shone on it, it gleamed like a hundred thousand carbuncles. The tailor tied his handkerchief together by the four corners, and carried it to the king, who was full of joy, and put a gold chain round the tailor's neck. When the shoemaker saw that One stroke had failed, he contrived a second, And went to the king and said, Lord king, the tailor has become insolent again. He boasts that he will copy in wax the whole of the royal palace, With everything that pertains to it, Loose or fast, inside and out. The king sent for the tailor, and ordered him to copy in wax the whole of the royal palace with everything that pertained to it movable or immovable within and without and if he did not succeed in doing this or if so much as one nail on the wall were wanting he should be imprisoned for his whole life underground the tailor thought It gets worse and worse, no one can endure that, And threw his bundle on his back and went forth. When he came to the hollow tree, he sat down and hung his head. The bees came flying out, and the queen bee asked him If he had a stiff neck, since he held his head so awry. Alas, no, answered the tailor, something quite different weighs me down, And he told her what the king had demanded of him. The bees began to buzz and hum amongst themselves, and the queen bee said, Just go home again, but come back tomorrow at this time, and bring a large sheet with you, and then all will be well. So he turned back again, But the bees flew to the royal palace, and straight into it, through the open doors, crept round about into every corner, and inspected everything most carefully. Then they hurried back, and modelled the palace in wax with such rapidity, that anyone looking on would have thought it was growing before his eyes. By the evening all was ready, and when the tailor came next morning, The whole of the splendid building was there, And not one nail in the wall or tile of the roof was wanting, And it was delicate and white as snow, and smelled sweet as honey. The tailor wrapped it carefully in his cloth, And took it to the king, who could not admire it enough, Placed it in his largest hall. "'and in return for it presented the tailor with a large stone house. "'The shoemaker, however, did not give up, "'but went for the third time to the king and said, "'Lord king, it has come to the tailor's ears "'that no water will spring up in the courtyard of the castle, "'and he has boasted that it shall rise up in the middle of the courtyard "'to a man's height and be clear as crystal.' THEN THE KING ORDERED THE TAILOR TO BE BROUGHT BEFORE HIM, AND SAID, IF A STREAM OF WATER DOES NOT RISE IN MY COURTYARD BY TOMORROW, AS YOU HAVE PROMISED, THE EXECUTIONER SHALL IN THAT VERY PLACE MAKE YOU SHORTER BY THE HEAD. THE POOR TAILOR DID NOT TAKE LONG TO THINK ABOUT IT, BUT HURRIED OUT TO THE GATE, AND BECAUSE THIS TIME IT WAS A MATTER OF LIFE AND DEATH TO HIM, TEARS ROLLED DOWN HIS FACE. While he was thus going forth, full of sorrow, The foal to which he had formerly given its liberty, And which had now become a beautiful chestnut horse, Came leaping towards him. "'The time has come,' it said to the tailor, "'when I can repay you for your good deed. "'I know already what is needful to you, "'but you shall soon have help. "'Get on me, my back can carry two such as you.' THE tailor's COURAGE CAME BACK TO HIM. HE JUMPED UP IN ONE BOUND, AND THE HORSE WENT FULL SPEED INTO THE TOWN, AND RIGHT UP TO THE COURTYARD OF THE CASTLE. IT GALLOPED AS QUICK AS LIGHTNING, thrice ROUND IT, AND AT THE THIRD TIME IT FELL VIOLENTLY DOWN. AT THE SAME INSTANT, HOWEVER, THERE WAS A TERRIFIC CLAP OF THUNDER, A FRAGMENT OF EARTH IN THE MIDDLE OF THE COURTYARD SPRANG LIKE A CANNONBALL INTO THE AIR. AND OVER THE CASTLE, AND DIRECTLY AFTER IT A JET OF WATER ROSE AS HIGH AS A MAN ON HORSEBACK, AND THE WATER WAS AS PURE AS CRYSTAL, AND THE SUNBEAMS BEGAN TO DANCE ON IT. WHEN THE KING SAW THAT HE AROSE IN AMAZEMENT, AND WENT AND EMBRACED THE tailor IN THE SIGHT OF ALL MEN, BUT GOOD FORTUNE DID NOT LAST LONG. THE KING HAD DAUGHTERS IN PLENTY, ONE STILL PRETTIER THAN THE OTHER, BUT HE HAD NO SON. SO THE MALICIOUS SHOEMAKER BETOOK HIMSELF FOR THE FOURTH TIME TO THE KING, AND SAID, LORD KING THE tailor HAS NOT GIVEN UP HIS ARROGANCE. HE HAS NOW BOASTED THAT IF HE LIKED, HE COULD CAUSE A SON TO BE BROUGHT TO THE LORD KING THROUGH THE AIR the king commanded the tailor to be summoned and said if you cause a son to be brought to me within nine days you shall have my eldest daughter as wife the reward is indeed great thought the little tailor one would willingly do something for it but the cherries grow too high for me if i climb for them the bough will break beneath me and i shall fall HE WENT HOME, SEATED HIMSELF CROSS-LEGGED ON HIS WORK-TABLE, AND FOUGHT OVER WHAT WAS TO BE DONE. IT CAN'T BE MANAGED, CRIED HE, AT LAST, I WILL GO AWAY. AFTER ALL, I CAN'T LIVE IN PEACE HERE. HE TIED UP HIS BUNDLE, AND HURRIED AWAY TO THE GATE. WHEN HE GOT TO THE MEADOW, HE PERCEIVED HIS OLD FRIEND THE STORK, WHO WAS WALKING BACKWARDS AND FORWARDS LIKE A PHILOSOPHER. Sometimes he stood still, took a frog into close consideration, and at length swallowed it down. The stork came to him and greeted him. I see, he began, that you have your pack on your back. Why are you leaving this town? The tailor told him what the king had required of him, and how he could not perform it, and lamented his misfortune. DON'T LET YOUR HAIR GROW GREY ABOUT THAT, SAID THE STORK, I WILL HELP YOU OUT OF YOUR DIFFICULTY. FOR A LONG TIME NOW I'VE CARRIED THE CHILDREN IN SWADDLING CLOTHES INTO THE TOWN, FOR ONCE I CAN FETCH A LITTLE PRINCE OUT OF THE WELL. GO HOME AND BE EASY. IN NINE DAYS FROM THIS TIME, REPAIR TO THE ROYAL PALACE, AND THERE I WILL COME. The little tailor went home, and at the appointed time was at the castle. It was not long before the stork came flying there and tapped at the window. The tailor opened it, and Cousin Longlegs came carefully in and walked with solemn steps over the smooth marble pavement. "'He had, moreover, a baby in his beak "'that was as lovely as an angel, "'and stretched out its little hands to the queen. "'The stork laid it in her lap, "'and she caressed it and kissed it, "'and was beside herself with delight. "'Before the stork flew away, "'he took his travelling bag off his back "'and handed it over to the queen. "'In it, there were little paper parcels with coloured sweetmeats, and they were divided amongst the little princesses. The eldest, however, had none of them, but got the merry tailor for a husband. "'It seems to me,' said he, "'just as if I had won the highest prize. "'My mother was right after all. "'She always said that whoever trusts in God "'and only has good luck can never fail.' The shoemaker had to make the shoes in which the little tailor danced at the wedding festival, after which he was commanded to quit the town forever. The road to the forest led him to the gallows. Worn out with anger, rage, and the heat of the day, he threw himself down. When he had closed his eyes, and was about to sleep, THE TWO CROWS FLEW DOWN FROM THE HEADS OF THE MEN WHO WERE HANGING THERE AND PECKED HIS EYES OUT. IN HIS MADNESS HE RAN INTO THE FOREST AND MUST HAVE DIED THERE OF HUNGER, FOR NO ONE HAS EVER EITHER SEEN HIM OR HEARD OF HIM AGAIN. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 108. Hans the Hedgehog. There was once a country man who had money and land in plenty. But no matter how rich he was, one thing was still wanting in his happiness. He had no children. Often... When he went into the town with the other peasants, they mocked him, and asked why he had no children. At last he became angry, and when he got home, he said, I will have a child, even if it be a hedgehog. Then his wife had a child that was a hedgehog in the upper part of his body, and a boy in the lower And when she saw the child, she was terrified, and said, See there, you have brought ill luck on us. Then said the man, What can be done now? The boy must be christened, But we shall not be able to get a godfather for him. The woman said, And we cannot call him anything else but Hans the Hedgehog. When he was christened, the parson said, HE CANNOT GO INTO ANY ORDINARY BED BECAUSE OF HIS SPIKES. SO A LITTLE STRAW WAS PUT BEHIND THE STOVE, AND HANS THE HEDGEHOG WAS LAID ON IT. HIS MOTHER COULD NOT SUCKLE HIM, FOR HE WOULD HAVE PRICKED HER WITH HIS QUILLS. SO HE LAY THERE BEHIND THE STOVE FOR EIGHT YEARS, AND HIS FATHER WAS TIRED OF HIM AND THOUGHT, IF HE WOULD BUT DIE! HE DID NOT DIE, HOWEVER, BUT REMAINED LYING THERE. NOW IT HAPPENED THAT THERE WAS A FAIR IN THE TOWN, AND THE PEASANT WAS ABOUT TO GO TO IT, AND ASKED HIS WIFE WHAT HE SHOULD BRING BACK WITH HIM FOR HER. A LITTLE MEAT AND A COUPLE OF WHITE ROLLS, WHICH ARE WANTED FOR THE HOUSE, SAID SHE. THEN HE ASKED THE SERVANT, AND SHE WANTED A PAIR OF SLIPPERS. And some stockings with clocks. At last he said also, And what will you have, Hans the Hedgehog? Dear father, he said, Do bring me bagpipes. When therefore the father came home again, he gave his wife what he had bought for her meat and white rolls and then he gave the maid the slippers and the stockings with clocks. And lastly he went behind the stove and gave Hans the Hedgehog the bagpipes. And when Hans the Hedgehog had the bagpipes, he said, Dear father, do go to the forge and get the cock shod, and then I will ride away and never come back again. At this the father was delighted to think that he was going to get rid of him and had the cock shod for him. And when it was done, Hans the Hedgehog got on it and rode away, But took swine and asses with him, Which he intended to keep in the forest. When they got there, he made the cock fly onto a high tree with him, And there he sat for many a long year, And watched his asses and swine, until the herd was quite large and his father knew nothing about him. While he was sitting in the tree, however, he played his bagpipes, and made music which was very beautiful. Once a king came travelling by who had lost his way, and heard the music. He was astonished at it, and sent his servant forth to look all round, and see from where this music came. He spied about, but saw nothing but a little animal, Sitting up aloft on the tree, which looked like a cock with a hedgehog on it, which made this music. Then the king told the servant he was to ask why he sat there, and if he knew the road which led to his kingdom. So Hans the Hedgehog descended from the tree, and said he would show the way if the king would write a bond and promise him whatever. He first met in the royal courtyard, as soon as he arrived at home. Then the king thought, I can easily do that. Hans the Hedgehog understands nothing, and I can write what I like. So the king took pen and ink, and wrote something, and when he had done it, Hans the Hedgehog showed him the way, and he got safely home. But his daughter when she saw him from afar, was so overjoyed that she ran to meet him and kissed him. Then he remembered Hans the Hedgehog, and told her what had happened, and that he had been forced to promise whatever first met him, when he got home to a very strange animal which sat on a cock, as if it were a horse, and made beautiful music, but that instead of writing that he should have... What he wanted, he had written that he should not have it. Thereupon the princess was glad and said he had done well, for she never would have gone away with the hedgehog. Hans the hedgehog, however, looked after his asses and pigs and was always merry and sat on the tree and played his bagpipes. Now it came to pass that another king came journeying by with his attendants and runners, and he also had lost his way, and did not know how to get home again, because the forest was so large. He likewise heard the beautiful music from a distance, and asked his runner what that could be, and told him to go and see. Then the runner went under the tree, and saw the cock sitting at the top of it, and Hans the Hedgehog on the cock. The runner asked him, what he was about up there. I am keeping my asses and my pigs, but what is your desire? The messenger said that they had lost their way and could not get back into their own kingdom and asked if he would not show them the way. Then Hans the hedgehog got down the tree with the cock and told the aged king that he would show him the way if he would give him for his own whatever first met him in front of his royal palace. The king said, Yes, and wrote a promise to Hans the Hedgehog, that he should have this. That done, Hans rode on before him, on the cock, and pointed out the way, and the king reached his kingdom again in safety. When he got to the courtyard, there were great rejoicings, Now he had an only daughter who was very beautiful. She ran to meet him, threw her arms round his neck, and was delighted to have her old father back again. She asked him where in the world he had been so long. So he told her how he had lost his way, and had very nearly not come back at all, but that as he was travelling through a great forest, a creature, half-hedgehog, half-man, who was sitting astride a cock in a high tree and making music, had shown him the way, and helped him to get out, but that in return he had promised him whatever first met him in the royal courtyard, and how that was she herself, which made him unhappy now. But at this she promised that, for love of her father, she would willingly go with this Hans, if he came. Hans the Hedgehog, however, took care of his pigs, and the pigs multiplied, until they became so many in number that the whole forest was filled with them. Then Hans the Hedgehog resolved not to live in the forest any longer, and sent word to his father to have every sty in the village emptied, for he was coming with such a great herd, that anyone who wished to kill could do so. When his father heard that, he was troubled, for he thought Hans the Hedgehog had died long ago. Hans the Hedgehog, however, seated himself on the cock and drove the pigs before him into the village and ordered the slaughter to begin. Ha! But there was a killing and a chopping that might have been heard two miles off. After this, Hans the Hedgehog said, Father, let me have the cock shod once more at the forge, and then I will ride away, and never come back as long as I live. Then the father had the cock shod once more, and was pleased that Hans the Hedgehog would never return again. Hans the Hedgehog rode away to the First Kingdom. There the king had commanded that whoever came mounted on a cock and had bagpipes with him, "'should be shot at, cut down, or stabbed by everyone, "'so that he might not enter the palace. "'When, therefore, Hans the Hedgehog came riding over, "'they all pressed forward against him with their pikes, "'but he spurred the cock, and it flew up over the gate "'in front of the king's window and lighted there. "'And Hans cried that the king must give him what he had promised, "'or he would take both his life and his daughter's. THEN THE KING BEGAN TO SPEAK HIS DAUGHTER FAIR, AND TO BEG HER TO GO AWAY WITH HANS, IN ORDER TO SAVE HER OWN LIFE AND HER FATHER'S. SO SHE DRESSED HERSELF IN WHITE, AND HER FATHER GAVE HER A CARRIAGE WITH SIX HORSES, AND MAGNIFICENT attendants, TOGETHER WITH GOLDEN POSSESSIONS she seated herself in the carriage and placed hans the hedgehog beside her with the cock and the bagpipes and then they took leave and drove away and the king thought he should never see her again he was however deceived in his expectation for when they were at a short distance from the town hans the hedgehog took her pretty clothes off and pierced her with his hedgehog's skin until she bled all over That is the reward of your falseness, said he. Go your way, I will not have you. And on that he chased her home again, and she was disgraced for the rest of her life. Hans the Hedgehog, however, rode on further on the cock, with his bagpipes, to the dominions of the second king, to whom he had shown the way. This one, however, had arranged that if anyone resembling Hans the Hedgehog should come, they were to present arms, give him safe conduct, cry long life to him, and lead him to the royal palace. But when the king's daughter saw him, she was terrified, for he looked quite too strange. SHE REMEMBERED, HOWEVER, THAT SHE COULD NOT CHANGE HER MIND, FOR SHE HAD GIVEN HER PROMISE TO HER FATHER. SO HANS THE HEDGEHOG WAS welcomed BY HER, AND MARRIED TO HER, AND HAD TO GO WITH HER TO THE ROYAL TABLE, AND SHE SEATED HERSELF BY HIS SIDE, AND THEY ATE AND DRANK. WHEN THE EVENING CAME, AND THEY WANTED TO GO TO SLEEP, SHE WAS AFRAID OF HIS QUILLS, BUT HE TOLD HER SHE WAS NOT TO FEAR, FOR NO HARM WOULD BEFALL HER. And he told the old king that he was to appoint four men to watch by the door of the chamber and light a great fire, and when he entered the room and was about to get into bed, he would creep out of his hedgehog's skin and leave it lying there by the bedside, and that the men were to run nimbly to it, throw it in the fire, and stay by it until it was consumed.' When the clock struck eleven, he went into the chamber, Stripped off the hedgehog's skin, and left it lying by the bed. Then came the men, and fetched it swiftly, and threw it in the fire, And when the fire had consumed it, he was delivered, And lay there in bed in human form. But he was coal-black, as if he had been burnt. THE KING SENT FOR HIS PHYSICIAN, WHO WASHED HIM WITH PRECIOUS SALVES, AND ANOINTED HIM, AND HE BECAME WHITE, AND WAS A HANDSOME YOUNG MAN. WHEN THE KING'S DAUGHTER SAW THAT, SHE WAS GLAD, AND THE NEXT MORNING THEY AROSE JOYFULLY, Ate AND DRANK, AND THEN THE MARRIAGE WAS PROPERLY SOLEMNIZED. AND HANS THE hedgehog RECEIVED THE KINGDOM FROM THE AGED KING. WHEN SEVERAL YEARS HAD PASSED, HE WENT WITH HIS WIFE TO HIS FATHER, AND SAID THAT HE WAS HIS SON. THE FATHER, HOWEVER, DECLARED HE HAD NO SON. HE HAD NEVER HAD BUT ONE, AND HE HAD BEEN BORN LIKE A HEDGEHOG WITH SPIKES, AND HAD GONE FORTH INTO THE WORLD. THEN HANS MADE HIMSELF KNOWN, AND THE OLD FATHER REJOICED, AND WENT WITH HIM TO HIS KINGDOM. MY TALE IS DONE, AND AWAY IT HAS RUN. To Little August's House. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 109. The Shroud. There was once a mother who had a little boy of seven years old, who was so handsome and lovable that no one could look at him without liking him, and she worshipped him above everything in the world. Now it so happened that he suddenly became ill, and God took him to himself. And for this the mother could not be comforted, and wept both day and night. But soon afterwards, when the child had been buried, it appeared by night in the places where it had sat and played during its life, And if the mother wept, it wept also, and when morning came it disappeared. As, however, the mother would not stop crying, it came one night, in the little white shroud, in which it had been laid in its coffin, and with its wreath of flowers round its head, and stood on the bed at her feet, and said, "'O mother, do stop crying, or I shall never fall asleep in my coffin.' FOR MY SHROUD WILL NOT DRY BECAUSE OF ALL YOUR TEARS WHICH FALL UPON IT. THE MOTHER WAS AFRAID WHEN SHE HEARD THAT, AND WEPT NO MORE. THE NEXT NIGHT THE CHILD CAME AGAIN, AND HELD A LITTLE LIGHT IN ITS HAND, AND SAID, LOOK, MOTHER, MY SHROUD IS NEARLY DRY, AND I CAN REST IN MY GRAVE. Then the mother gave her sorrow into God's keeping, and bore it quietly and patiently, and the child came no more, but slept in its little bed beneath the earth. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 110. The Jew Among Fawns. There was once a rich man who had a servant who served him diligently and honestly. He was every morning the first out of bed and the last to go to rest at night, and whenever there was a difficult job to be done, which nobody cared to undertake, he was always the first to set himself to it. Moreover, he never complained, but was contented with everything and always merry. When a year was ended, his master gave him no wages, for he said to himself, That is the cleverest way, for I shall save something, and he will not go away, but stay quietly in my service. The servant said nothing, but did his work, the second year, as he had done at the first, and when at the end of this likewise he received no wages, he made himself happy, and still stayed on. When the third year also was past, the master considered, put his hand in his pocket, and pulled nothing out. Then at last the servant said, "'Master, for three years I have served you honestly. Be so good as to give me what I ought to have, for I wish to leave, and look about me a little more in the world.' "'Yes, my good fellow,' answered the old miser. "'You have served me industriously.' "'and therefore you shall be cheerfully rewarded.' "'And he put his hand into the pocket, "'but counted out only three farthings, saying, "'There, you have a farthing for each year. "'That is large and liberal pay, "'such as you would have received from few masters.' "'The honest servant, who understood little about money, "'put his fortune into his pocket, and thought, "'Aha!' Now that I have my purse full, why need I trouble and plague myself any longer with hard work? So on he went, up hill and down dale, and sang and jumped to his heart's content. Now it came to pass, that as he was going by a thicket, a little man stepped out and called to him, "'Wear away, merry brother, I see you do not carry many cares.' Why should I be sad? answered the servant. I have enough. Three years' wages are jingling in my pocket. How much is your treasure? The dwarf asked him. How much? Three farthings sterling, all told. Look here," said the dwarf. "I'm a poor, needy man. Give me your free farthings. I can work no longer, but you are young and can easily earn your bread." and as the servant had a good heart and felt pity for the old man he gave him the free farthings saying take them in the name of heaven i shall not be any the worse for it then the little man said as i see you have a good heart i grant you free wishes one for each farthing they shall all be fulfilled aha said the servant "'You are one of those who can work wonders.' "'Well, then, if it is to be so, "'I wish first for a gun which shall hit everything that I aim at, "'secondly, for a fiddle which when I play on it "'shall compel all who hear it to dance, "'thirdly, that if I ask a favour of any one "'he shall not be able to refuse it.' "'All that you shall have,' said the dwarf, "'and put his hand into the bush,' and only think, there lay a fiddle and gun, all ready, just as if they had been ordered. These he gave to the servant, then said to him, Whatever you may ask, at any time no man in the world shall be able to deny you. Heart alive! What can one desire more? said the servant to himself, and went merrily onwards. "'Soon afterwards he met a Jew with a long goatee, "'who was standing listening to the song of a bird "'which was sitting up at the top of a tree. "'Good heavens,' he was explaining, "'that such a small creature "'should have such a fearfully loud voice, "'if it were but mine, "'if only someone would sprinkle some salt upon its tail.' "'If that is all,' said the servant, "'the bird shall soon be down here.' And, taking aim, he pulled the trigger, And down fell the bird into the fawn bushes. "'Go, you rogue,' he said to the Jew, "'and fetch the bird out for yourself.' "'Oh,' said the Jew, "'leave out the rogue, my master, "'and I will do it at once. "'I will get the bird out for myself, "'as you really have hit it.' Then he lay down on the ground, and began to crawl into the thicket. When he was fast among the fawns, the good servant's humour so tempted him that he took up his fiddle and began to play. In a moment the Jew's legs began to move, and to jump into the air, and the more the servant fiddled, the better went the dance. But the fawns tore his shabby coat. "'from him combed his beard and pricked "'and plucked him all over the body. "'Oh, dear!' cried the Jew. "'What do I want with your fiddling? "'Leave the fiddle alone, master. "'I do not want to dance.' "'But the servant did not listen to him and thought, "'You have fleeced people often enough. "'Now the thorn bushes shall do the same to you.' AND HE BEGAN TO PLAY OVER AGAIN, SO THAT THE JEW HAD TO JUMP HIGHER THAN EVER, AND SCRAPS OF HIS COAT WERE LEFT HANGING ON THE THORNS. "Oh, WALLS ME!' cried the Jew. "'I WILL GIVE THE GENTLEMAN WHATEVER HE ASKS, IF ONLY HE LEAVES OFF FIDDLING A PURSE FULL OF GOLD!' "'If you are so liberal,' said the servant, "'I WILL STOP MY MUSIC.' But this I must say to your credit, that you danced to it so well, That it is quite an art, And having taken the purse, He went his way. The Jew stood still, And watched the servant quietly, Until he was far off and out of sight, And then he screamed out with all his might, You miserable musician, You beer-hole fiddler! wait till i catch you alone i will hunt you till the soles of your shoes fall off you ragamuffin just put five farthings in your mouth and then you may be worth three halfpence and went on abusing him as fast as he could speak as soon as he had refreshed himself a little in this way he got his breath again he ran into the town to the justice "'My Lord Judge," she said, "'I have come to make a complaint. "'See how a rascal has robbed and ill-treated me "'on the public highway. "'A stone on the ground might pity me, "'my clothes all torn, my body pricked and scratched, "'my little all gone with my purse, good ducats, "'each piece better than the last. "'For God's sake, let the man be thrown in prison.' Was it a soldier said the judge, who cut you thus with his sabre? Nothing of the sort said the Jew. It was no sword that he had, but a gun hanging at his back and a fiddle at his neck. The wretch may easily be known, so the judge sent his people out after the man, and they found the good servant who had been going quite slowly along, and they found two. THE PURSE WITH THE MONEY UPON IT. AS SOON AS HE WAS TAKEN BEFORE THE JUDGE, HE SAID, I DID NOT TOUCH THE JEW, NOR TAKE HIS MONEY. HE GAVE IT TO ME OF HIS OWN FREE WILL, THAT I MIGHT LEAVE OFF FIDDLING, BECAUSE HE COULD NOT BEAR MY MUSIC. HEAVEN DEFEND US, CRIED THE JEW. HIS LIES ARE AS thick AS FLIES UPON THE WALL. But the judge also did not believe his tale, and said, "'This is a bad defence. No Jew would do that.' And because he had committed robbery on the public highway, he sentenced the good servant to be hanged. As he was being led away, the Jew again screamed after him, "'You vagabond! You dog of a fiddler! "'Now you are going to receive your well-earned reward!' THE SERVANT WALKED QUIETLY WITH THE HANGMAN UP THE LADDER, BUT UPON THE LAST STEP HE TURNED ROUND AND SAID TO THE JUDGE, GRANT ME JUST ONE REQUEST BEFORE I DIE. YES, IF YOU DO NOT ASK YOUR LIFE, SAID THE JUDGE. I DO NOT ASK FOR LIFE, ANSWERED THE SERVANT, BUT AS A LAST FAVOR LET ME PLAY ONCE MORE UPON MY FIDDLE. THE JEW RAISED A CRY. OF MURDER, MURDER, FOR GOODNESS SAKES, DO NOT ALLOW IT, DO NOT ALLOW IT. BUT THE JUDGE SAID, WHY SHOULD I NOT LET HIM HAVE THIS SHORT PLEASURE? IT HAS BEEN GRANTED TO HIM, AND HE SHALL HAVE IT. HOWEVER, HE COULD NOT HAVE REFUSED ON ACCOUNT OF THE GIFT WHICH HAD BEEN BESTOWED ON THE SERVANT. THEN THE JEW CRIED, "'Oh, woe's me! tie me! tie me fast!' "'While the good servant took his fiddle from his neck and made ready. "'As he gave the first scrape of the bow, "'they all began to quiver and shake. "'The judge, his clerk, and the hangman, and his men, "'and the cord fell out of the hand of the one who was going to tie the Jew fast.' At the second scrape all raised their legs, and the hangman let go his hold of the good servant, and made himself ready to dance. At the third scrape they all leaped up and began to dance, the judge and the Jew being the best at jumping. Soon all who had gathered in the marketplace out of curiosity were dancing with them, old and young, fat and lean, one with another, the dogs, Likewise, which had run there, got up on their hind-legs and capered about. And the longer he played, the higher sprang the dancers, so that they knocked against each other's heads, and began to shriek terribly. At length the judge cried, quite out of breath, "'I will give you your life if you will only stop fiddling!' The good servant thereupon had compassion took his fiddle, and hung it round his neck again, and stepped down the ladder. Then he went up to the Jew, who was lying upon the ground, panting for breath, and said, You rascal! Now confess whence you got the money, or I will take my fiddle and begin to play again. I stole it! I stole it! cried he. But you have honestly earned it. So the judge had the Jew taken to the gallows and hanged as a thief Grimms household tales translated by Margaret Hunt read by Paul Martin this audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain number 111 the skillful hunter there was once a young fellow who had learned the trade of locksmith and told his father he would now go out into the world and seek his fortune. "'Very well,' said the father, "'I am quite content with that,' and gave him some money for his journey. So he travelled about and looked for work. After a time he resolved not to follow the trade of locksmith any more, for he no longer liked it, but he took a fancy for hunting.' Then he met in his rambles a hunter dressed in green, Who asked from whence he came, and where he was going. The youth said he was a locksmith's apprentice, But that the trade no longer pleased him, And he had a liking for hunting. Would he teach it to him? Oh, yes, said the hunter, if you will go with me. Then the young fellow went with him, bound himself to him for some years, and learned the art of hunting. After this he wished to try his luck elsewhere, and the hunter gave him nothing in the way of payment but an air-gun, which had, however, this property, that it hit its mark without fail whenever he shot with it. Then he set out and found himself in a very large forest, WHICH HE COULD NOT GET TO THE END OF IN ONE DAY. WHEN EVENING CAME, HE SEATED HIMSELF IN A HIGH TREE IN ORDER TO ESCAPE FROM THE WILD BEASTS. TOWARDS MIDNIGHT IT SEEMED TO HIM AS IF A TINY LITTLE LIGHT GLIMMERED IN THE DISTANCE. THEN HE LOOKED DOWN THROUGH THE BRANCHES TOWARDS IT AND KEPT WELL IN HIS MIND WHERE IT WAS. But in the first place he took off his hat, and threw it down in the direction of the light, so that he might go to the hat as a mark when he had descended. Then he got down, and went to his hat, put it on again, and went straight forwards. The farther he went, the larger the light grew, and when he got close to it, he saw that it was an enormous fire, and that three giants were sitting by it who had an ox on the spit and were roasting it. Presently one of them said, "'I must just taste if the meat will soon be fit to eat,' and pulled a piece off, and was about to put it in his mouth when the hunter shot it out of his hand. "'Well, really,' said the giant, "'if the wind has not blown the bit out of my hand.' and helped himself to another. But when he was just about to bite into it, the hunter again shot it away from him. At this the giant gave the one who was sitting next to him a box on the ear, and cried angrily, Why are you snatching my piece away from me? I have not snatched it away, said the other. A sharp shooter must have shot it away from you. THE GIANT TOOK ANOTHER PIECE, BUT HE COULD NOT, HOWEVER, KEEP IT IN HIS HAND, FOR THE HUNTER SHOT IT OUT. THEN THE GIANT SAID, THAT MUST BE A GOOD SHOT TO SHOOT THE BIT OUT OF ONE'S VERY MOUTH, ONE THAT WOULD BE USEFUL TO US. AND HE CRIED ALOUD, COME HERE, YOU SHARPSHOOTER, SEAT YOURSELF AT THE FIRE BESIDES US, AND EAT YOUR FILL. "'We will not hurt you, but if you will not come, "'and we have to bring you by force, you are a lost man.' "'At this the youth went up to them and told them he was a skilled hunter "'and that whatever he aimed at with his gun, he was certain to hit. "'Then they said if he would go with them, he should be well treated, "'and they told him that outside the forest there was a great lake.' behind which stood a tower, and in the tower was imprisoned a lovely princess, whom they wished very much to carry off. Yes, said he, I will soon get her for you. Then they added, "'But there is still something else. "'There is a tiny little dog which begins to bark when anyone goes near, "'and as soon as it barks, everyone in the royal palace wakes up, "'and for this reason we cannot get there. "'Can you undertake to shoot it dead?' "'Yes,' said he. "'That will be a little bit of fun for me.' After this he got into a boat and rode over the lake, and as soon as he landed the little dog came running out and was about to bark, but the hunter took his air gun and shot it dead. When the giants saw that they rejoiced and thought they already had the king's daughter safe, but the hunter wished first to see how matters stood and told them that they must stay outside until he called them. Then he went into the castle, and all was perfectly quiet within, and everyone was asleep. When he opened the door of the first room, a sword was hanging on the wall, which was made of pure silver, and there was a golden star on it, and the name of the king, and on a table near it lay a sealed letter, which he broke open, and inside it was written that whoever had the sword "'could kill every one which opposed him. "'So he took the sword from the wall, "'hung it at his side, and went onwards. "'Then he entered the room, "'where the king's daughter was lying sleeping, "'and she was so beautiful that he stood still, "'and holding his breath, looked at her. "'He thought to himself, "'How can I give an innocent maiden "'into the power of the wild giants, "'who have evil in their minds?' He looked about further, and under the bed stood a pair of slippers. On the right one was her father's name with a star, and on the left her own name with a star. She wore also a great neckerchief of silk embroidered with gold, and on the right side was her father's name, and on the left her own, all in gold letters. Then the hunter took a pair of scissors, and cut the right corner off, and put it in his knapsack, and then he also took the right slipper, with the king's name, and thrust that in. Now the maiden still lay sleeping, and she was quite sewn into her nightgown, and he cut a morsel from this also, and thrust it in with the rest, but he did all without touching her. Then he went forth, and left her lying asleep, undisturbed, and when he came to the gate again, the giants were still standing outside waiting for him, and expecting that he was bringing the princess. But he cried to them, that they were to come in, for the maiden was already in their power, that he could not open the gate for them, but there was a hole through which they must creep.' Then the first approached, and the hunter wound the giant's hair round his hand, pulled the head in, and cut it off at one stroke with his sword, and then drew the rest of him in. He called to the second, and cut his head off likewise, and then he killed the third also, and he was well pleased that he had freed the beautiful maiden from her enemies.' AND HE CUT OUT THEIR TONGUES AND PUT THEM IN HIS KNAPSACK. THEN THOUGHT HE, I WILL GO HOME TO MY FATHER, AND LET HIM SEE WHAT I HAVE ALREADY DONE, AND AFTERWARDS I WILL TRAVEL ABOUT THE WORLD. THE LUCK WHICH GOD IS PLEASED TO GRANT ME WILL EASILY FIND ME. BUT WHEN THE KING IN THE CASTLE AWOKE, HE SAW THE FREE GIANTS LYING THERE DEAD, So he went into the bedroom of his daughter, awoke her, and asked who could have killed the giants. Then said she, "'Dear father, I know not. I have been asleep.' But when she arose, and would have put on her slippers, the right one was gone, and when she looked at her neckerchief, it was cut, and the right corner was missing.' and when she looked at her nightgown, a piece was cut out of it. The king summoned his whole court together, soldiers and everyone else who was there, and asked who had set his daughter at liberty and killed the giants. Now it happened that he had a captain who was one-eyed and a hideous man, and he said that he had done it, THEN THE OLD KING SAID THAT AS HE HAD ACCOMPLISHED THIS, HE SHOULD MARRY HIS DAUGHTER. BUT THE MAIDEN SAID, RATHER THAN MARRY HIM, DEAR FATHER, I WILL GO AWAY INTO THE WORLD AS FAR AS MY LEGS CAN CARRY ME. BUT THE KING SAID THAT IF SHE WOULD NOT MARRY HIM, she should take off her royal garments, and wear peasant's clothing, and go forth, and that she should go to a potter, and begin a trade in earthen vessels. So she put off her royal apparel, and went to a potter, and borrowed crockery, enough for a stall, and she promised him also, that if she had sold it by the evening, she would pay for it. Then the king said, She was to seat herself in a corner with it and sell it, and he arranged with some peasants to drive over it with their carts, so that everything should be broken into a thousand pieces. When therefore the king's daughter had placed her stall in the street, the carts came by and broke all she had into tiny fragments.' She began to weep, and said, Alas, how shall I ever pay for the pots now? The king had, however, wished by this to force her to marry the captain, but instead of that she again went to the potter, and asked him if he would lend to her once more. He said, No, she must first pay for the things she had already had. Then she went to her father, and cried and lamented, and said she would go forth into the world. Then said he, I will have a little hut built for you in the forest outside, and in it you shall stay all your life long and cook for everyone, but you shall take no money for it. When the hut was ready, a sign was hung on the door, on which was written, TODAY GIVEN, TOMORROW SOLD. There she remained a long time, and it was rumoured about the world that a maiden was there who cooked without asking for payment, and that this was set forth on a sign outside her door. The hunter heard it likewise, and thought to himself, "'That would suit you. You are poor and have no money.' So he took his air-gun and his knapsack, wherein all the things which he had formerly carried away with him from the castle, as tokens of his truthfulness were still lying, and went into the forest, and found the hut with the sign, TODAY GIVEN, TOMORROW SOLD. He had put on the sword, with which he had cut off the heads of the free giants, and thus entered the hut, AND ORDERED SOMETHING TO EAT TO BE GIVEN TO HIM. HE WAS CHARMED WITH THE BEAUTIFUL MAIDEN, WHO WAS INDEED AS LOVELY AS ANY PICTURE. SHE ASKED HIM WHENCE HE CAME FROM AND WHERE HE WAS GOING, AND HE SAID, I AM ROAMING ABOUT THE WORLD. THEN SHE ASKED HIM WHERE HE HAD GOT THE SWORD, FOR HER FATHER'S NAME WAS ON IT. HE ASKED HER IF SHE WERE THE KING'S DAUGHTER, Yes, she answered. With this sword, said he, did I cut off the heads of three giants, and he took their tongues out of his knapsack in proof. Then he also showed her the slipper, and the corner of the neckerchief, and the bit of the nightgown. Hereupon she was overjoyed, and said that he was the one who had delivered her. At this they went together to the old king and fetched him to the hut, and she led him into her room and told him that the hunter was the man who had really set her free from the giants. And when the aged king saw all the proofs of this, he could no longer doubt, and said that he was very glad he knew how everything had happened, and that the hunter should have her to wed, on which the maiden was glad at heart. Then she dressed the hunter as if he were a foreign lord, and the king ordered a feast to be prepared. When they went to table, the captain sat on the left side of the king's daughter, but the hunter was on the right, and the captain thought he was a foreign lord, who had come on a visit. When they had eaten and drunk, THE OLD KING SAID TO THE CAPTAIN THAT HE WOULD SET BEFORE HIM SOMETHING WHICH HE MUST GUESS. SUPPOSING ANYONE SAID THAT HE HAD KILLED THE FREE GIANTS, AND HE WERE ASKED WHERE THE GIANTS' TONGUES WERE, AND HE WERE FORCED TO GO AND LOOK, AND THERE WERE NONE IN THEIR HEADS. HOW COULD THAT HAPPEN? THE CAPTAIN SAID, THEN THEY CANNOT HAVE HAD ANY. NOT SO, SAID THE KING, Every animal has a tongue. And then he likewise asked what anyone would deserve who made such an answer. The captain replied, He ought to be torn in pieces. Then the king said he had pronounced his own sentence, And the captain was put in prison, and then torn in four pieces. But the king's daughter was married to the hunter. After this he brought his father and mother, and they lived with their son in happiness, and after the death of the old king he received the kingdom.